The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org.
o'clock, so let's go ahead and call this committee on appointments to order. Good morning, colleagues. How are you all doing today? Great. Um, first meeting of the month, and we have a number of items to approve. So let's get started with that, and then we'll go to um, the last item, which is to review our openings. So the first one is a resolution approving the City Commission's appointment of Tanya Bermejo to the Civil Service Board. Do I have a motion? So moved. Support. It's been moved and supported. Colleagues, uh, Ms. Bermejo um, was most previously on our Community Relations Commission with Commissioner Purdue um, for a number of years. Um, she has a healthcare background, um, also has, um, is also part of our sister cities group for um, Zapopan, Mexico, um, or Jalisco. And um, I think we'll uh, bring some good perspective to this board. Yes. Any other comments or questions? Someone who worked with her, I agree. I'm excited to see her um, kind of be recommended for other boards since her term on CRC is up. I do have a question, though, um, just kind of a, a procedural mm -hmm. standpoint. I see that um, in the agenda that it is asking for the city commission's appointment as opposed to Mayor Bliss's appointment. Mm -hmm. So just curious about the path of that appointment versus from Mayor sure. Bliss. Sure, thank you for bringing that up. And I know we talked about it, but I think it's good to bring it into the to the main stage. So um, for civil service, we try to have a balance of wards. Um, so actually, um, city clerk, if you could go down to the, the listing of the openings and we can go to civil service. Yeah, it's a long ways down. Um, so each com it's it's not the same as other boards where each commissioner has an equal because it's five members versus you know a different number. But we try to make sure we have a balance. So we have one individual from the first ward, we have one from the second ward, and we have two from um, the third ward. So that's something that we would look at. So it would be sort of a collective appointment. So any one of us city commissioners could make that recommendation. Um, and then we would say, okay, well, is this in line? Do we have everybody from the third ward? So then we probably wouldn't want to move somebody from the third ward. We try to look um, for somebody from the first ward or the second ward. In this case, this opening has been open for some time. And so we would say, okay, the city commission um, would like to bring forth this person because of their past experience. So who, in, who initiates that when it's listed as a recommendation of the city commission? That would be this body. So, so what would happen is, you know, as we're having this meeting, our last agenda item, we're going through these pieces. So in this meeting, you could say, hey, colleagues, there's somebody that has approached me. Now, if they're fully vetted, we might talk about them openly. Sorry, I feel like I can't see Commissioner <laughs> that I feel bad that I'm not looking at her. Um, so it would be in, in this in this group. It could also happen as you all are meeting individuals, and you might say to myself as the as the chair, "Hey, Commissioner Isasi, I've talked to somebody. They haven't done the PIF, but they're interested. Um, but we typically try to reserve talking about their name until they're fully vetted, just because again, there's some personal information, and we don't want to." sort of put that out there okay. um, until they resolve it. Is that, is that fair? Yep. That so I will say, let me clarify that it is not one obvious path. It could be multiple paths. It could be in conjunction, <laughs> in conjunction and recommendation with a liaison that has previously served. So as Ms. Bermejo has served on CRC, um, I know she shared interest in doing an initial initial or additional board so then miss coddle had shared hey she's interested what do you all think you've had this opening for a while it could be any one of us it could be one of our other colleagues um 
yeah, so there is not one, one path, I should say. But typically that would happen here and we could say, you know, I see I have one. We won't, we won't have one after this. Um, we may have one in the future because actually one, there might be a member who resigns because of residency. And, and very similar. So I just have to see above it is board of review and Ms. Jasper's <laughs> here. Um, that's also a city commission appointment, but that would usually a board of review comes with her because she knows the people that need, have the expertise. Yes. And and she'll bring a re so you might have a staff recommendation saying these are the fo the people that we would like mm -hmm. um, appointed to. Okay. Yeah, especially in the case of what I'll call more deeper knowledge or industry boards where we'd want somebody with a specific understanding, certainly board of review, even civil service as well because of some of the things that we would review there. Is that, um, does that answer your question, Commissioner? Yep, thank you. Okay, thank you for that. Commissioner Robbins, do you have any questions on that? Not at this time, okay. thank you. All right, so um, we have a motion on the table. We had some discussion. I am now gonna call for the vote. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Okay, that carries, thank you so much. Um, so that will fill our board, so yes. <laughs> we'll have that one taken up. Um, this is a resolution conf confirming Mayor Bliss's appointment of Nathaniel Phillips to the North Quarter Improvement Authority Board. Do you have a motion? So move. Second. It's been moved and supported. Mr. Phillips is a neighbor in the North Quarter area or the Creston neighborhood area. Um, he currently serves on the Board of Housing Appeals, and he is a business development individual with um, DataWise. Any questions? And this will, well, we'll do a couple here, and then we'll hopefully get to a full board for North Quarter, too. All right, I'll call the question. All those in favor? Aye. That carries. Thank you so much. Next is a resolution confirming Mayor Bliss's appointment of Andrea Hendrick to the North Quarter Improvement Authority. Do you have a motion? Move. Support. Moved and supported, colleagues. Uh, Ms. Hendrick is um, uh, works in, to represent Knox Cannabis on the Plainfield Corridor. They're a new business um, right there um, on the east side, <laughs> east side of, um, and so um, and she has been attending the meetings and also has a very strong background in um, policy and has a background in planning as well. Any other questions? Okay. All those in favor? Aye. That carries. Thank you. Um, so the next is uh, two resolutions confirming, well, i sorry, i got to take one at a time. The, first, the number four is a resolution confirming Mayor Bliss's appointment of Kyle Kimball to the Board of Review. So moved. Support. It's been moved and supported. Ms. Jasper, do you want to come up and say anything about these? You don't have to, but... I know uh, we just talked about that, and it might just, if you don't mind, if you could uh, review a little bit of the Board of Review for our new colleagues as well. Just push the button. Okay. Good morning. I'm Paula Jasper. I'm the City Assessor. And what the Board of Review does is they hear appeals of assess value every March. It's a, a state requirement. And right now we are having our assessor's review. So in order to appear before the board of review, um, a property owner would have to <coughs> petition the assessor's review first as part of our city charter. And the board of review is a three panel member. It's the independent body that reviews the city's assessment to determine does it exceed 50% of true cash value. So it's another um, independent look to um, determine if the assessor has made a mistake or um, is assessing too high or too low. So that happens as well. 
Um, they also hear appeals based on poverty. So if um, a property owner is in poverty, they can uh, have their property taxes um, waived. It's a, an exemption that's good for one year. So the board handles that as well. They um, are required to have some real estate background so that they are familiar with um, real estate values and what's hap happening in the market. The two candidates are both realtors that live in the city of Grand Rapids. So uh, we're very fortunate and thank you, uh, Daniel, for uh, getting them on the agenda this morning. Thanks. Thanks, Ms. Jasper. I appreciate it. And um, I think that's, that's nice to have the little uh, background and just reminders as well. So um, colleagues, any questions? All right. So um, all those in favor? Aye. That carries. Thank you. And go ahead and sit down, Paula. Thank you. Thanks. Um, we won't make you stand up for the rest of it. Uh, next is a resolution confirming Mayor Bliss's appointment of Judson Mowbray to the Board of Review. Do you have a motion? So moved. Second. It's been moved and supported. Um, any other questions, colleagues? Okay. Hearing none, all those in favor? Aye. Aye. That carries. Thank you. Next is a resolution confirming Mayor Bliss's appointment of Calvin Mills to the Community Relations Commission. So moved. Support. Moved and supported. Um, we have, uh, as uh, we kind of just talked about, we have three appointments here. We're obviously taking just the first one. Um, I will also add, and Commissioner Purdue, um, please jump in as the chair of the community relations most recently. Um, Ms. Cottle, who retired last uh, last week, um, has come to this body and shared there's an additional, um, there's quite a, I, I don't want to say quite a, Bit more involved, but the community relations takes additional steps to vet their candidates. I can speak to that. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, so <laughs> we have been uh, glad to be able to recommend appointments to uh, Mayor Bliss. So we look at folks who apply for the CRC. Um, there are a few specific questions to the CRC, and then we look to say what skills and traits and leanings are already represented, who else might need to be represented. Um, so for example, the CRC talks a lot around some of our safety and policing concerns, uh, but we hadn't had someone who actually has served. And so uh, one of the recommendations this morning is someone who kind of meets that criteria. So try to kind of bring a well-rounded uh, citizen's perspective to talk about community relations. So all three of these, uh, items six through eight, are um, folks that I had an opportunity to help discuss and um, before I resigned um, to join this body. Great. So. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, any other comments about this first appointment of Calvin Mills? All those in favor? Aye. Aye. That carries. Thank you. Next is a resolution confirming Mayor Bliss's appointment of Brittany Hayes to the Community Relations Commission. Do you have a motion? A move. Support. Moved and supported, colleagues. Um, I'll call the question, I think, for the next two of these. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. That carries. Next is a resolution confirming Mayor Bliss's appointment of Allie Jaffrey to the Community Relations Commission. So moved. Support. Moved and supported. Um, all those in favor? Aye. Thank you. Uh, nice to have a couple of those, and then we can go into the list and, and mark off which ones we have filled. Next is a resolution recognizing the Fire Retirement System's appointment of William Fabiano to the Police and Fire Retirement System Board of Trustees. Do you have a motion? So moved. Support. Moved and supported. Um, is this a reappointment or a new appointment, Daniel? Just this is a new appointment yes. due to a retirement, and Mr. Fabiano was elected by the Fire Retirement System's membership. No, thank you so much for saying that out loud. Um, any other questions, colleagues? 
All those in favor? Aye. That carries. Thank you. That's all of our business for today. So, um, and in the next, in the rest of the time that we have for our meeting, we can review these openings. So, we just added two members for the board of review. Um, actually, can we take a step back? Um, you know, one of the things, and I think with new uh, commissioners on the body, we have different perspectives and different questions. And one of the things that I'd also like to bring to this committee is on our uh, commission meeting, which has is either at a two o'clock or a seven o'clock. In those petitions and communications, you will see um, the number of people who have submitted a resignation um, to different bodies. And actually, this this week we had a number of them. I think there was at least four. Daniel, um, I don't remember. Correct. Okay. There was um, also, unfortunately, as the nature of boards and commissions, one from the North Quarter Corridor Improvement Authority. So yes. We went <laughs> I was from expecting a full that one. To, one to one member. I was expecting that one. Yes. And thank you. Let me say thank you, Daniel, for uh, working with me and the mayor to get those ones advanced. And I know you're also working on another one so that board can continue to meet. Um, and sometimes, colleagues, that happens just as the timing. And we um, do have. Actually, I wanted to talk about, maybe before we get into this, the timeline that we have in terms of when we need to have items in for the agenda so then they can be reviewed and then they can be subsequently published. I was thinking about what we're, as we're in our second month of commission, some of the questions that I just get used to it, but I have to um, make sure that I'm communicating with my new colleagues. And then I also want to include in this review of the openings to discuss any of those petitions and communications that were received because I think sometimes that can get lost and you know ultimately we could either wait a month for them to show or wait wait a couple weeks to show up on the new agenda or we can talk about them right now and I think that would um, just help with the process perspective too. How does that sound to, to both of you? Good and I also want to raise as related um, issue of scheduling. Mm -hmm. Um, so I can, we can circle back. We can start where you want to start, okay. um, but do want to flag that. Scheduling of, just to. So um, some of our, so there was an appointment to Planning Commission and Community Relations Commission. They meet pretty much like back to back on the same days. And so wanted to make sure we have a process in place when folks are applying or looking to be appointed to more than one commission that the scheduling doesn't conflict. So. I think it's been less than six months, and now this person has to resign from one because oh, okay. it just it just isn't feasible for them from a okay. logistic standpoint. So just wanted to flag okay. that issue, mm -hmm. um, and there will probably be another resignation coming from one of those boards, like okay. CRC, because of that. Um, so I just wanted to make sure that that's accounted for in some of our okay. process. Yeah, thank you. Um, okay, so Daniel, can you talk about... Um, Obviously, we have business today, but then the clock starts ticking on our next uh, meeting that we have this month, which is February is always a little interesting because it just is yes. shorter, right? Um, so um, can you review for the commissioners when, um, you know, usually what happens is we might talk in this meeting, we might have some conversation. Many of our appointments do need to go, they're, they're mayoral appointments, so in between these <clears throat> meetings, myself and Daniel... Some of you might be copied depending on, like I copied Commissioner Knight on something for the Michigan Street Corridor um, to move forward. It didn't quite make the cutoff for this meeting. Um, so much of that is happening via email, um, but then that has to get to Daniel by a certain point. So, Correct. make sure that. Um, 
ideally for the city manager's uh, cabinet and agenda review, the deadline for agenda items to be submitted is the Thursday after the previous Tuesday meeting. Mm -hmm. um, so there is quite a bit of lead time that would need to be mm -hmm. um, started before if <clears throat> Thursday at noon is the cutoff for mm -hmm. agenda items for that uh, 21st meeting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. So, so this Thursday, essentially, for next? Correct. So I wanted to highlight that because it is a pretty tight time, time it is, frame. Yes. Um, we typically don't like to add things after, the, after that deadline, but in this case, there, can some, there was an exception because a board was not going to be able to meet because it fell below the threshold of the number of um, a, just overall appointments versus just opening. So, and it was one that we weren't. We weren't accept, expecting until a certain point. <laughs> if we're going to go through the timeline. Let's, yeah, let's, sure. Because Patrick gave me the, the eye over there, He gave too. you the, okay. Well, no, it's because, so we have, so it's two Thursdays before the commission meeting, because sometimes when we have those back-to-backs, then mm -hmm. it really gets fun. Yeah. Um, so we have. Can I include? Yes. We do have a calendar that we could share with all the commissioners as well. We can do that, well, too, but I'm just going to be really quick. Yes. <laughs> so one of the other um, important dates, I think, is the, um, so we have cabinet on Monday where we review the agenda, mm -hmm. and then on Wednesday, the legal department goes through all the items. Mm -hmm. And so they, that's, a, that's the next kind of, like, big, mm -hmm. big deadline is because then they have to do individual legal reviews mm -hmm. um, outside of their team. Yep. And then, then we have a gender review on the on the mm -hmm. Thursday before the meeting. Yeah. That's it. Thank you so much. But we do have a calendar picture. Yep, um, I think that's helpful to me because sometimes I can get just tripped up of it, it's a short time frame, right? And as colleagues, as you know, we're not necessarily working on commission stuff every single day or every single night. So just trying to be mindful of those time frames. Um, okay, so that was one. Um, can we go to the um, our two p.m. meeting agenda and just discuss the openings that we'll now have due to the due to the vacancies or I'm sorry due to the resignations mm -hmm. thank you and then we'll just add this as part of the final um, action uh, final discussion item on our agenda I think we could we could probably add those at the top of the vacancy list couldn't okay. we Daniel or or that's definitely feasible Okay. To do that. Like that, just make it a part just of a remind report. it. Okay. The city clerk and I did meet as well because there, um, in the past, has been some a little bit of confusion even on my end with the vacancy list and which appointments are current and which will be taken off the vacancy list at that next meeting. Mm -hmm. So what um, we collaborated on and thought was a good idea was to have maybe some sort of asterisk next to the appointments that would be removed at the next meeting's vacancy list Okay. to say pending city commission approval, this will be removed, some sort of boilerplate language just to know that, okay, there will only be one CRC appointment that's mm -hmm. vacant at the next meeting, okay. things like that, if that's something that would be helpful. Yeah, I think if that helps, I think, again, um, much of this, colleagues, is it's coming through in a personal information form. It gets put into an Excel spreadsheet. There are, there are many manual parts to it. So, And then, obviously, this is a, you know, a Word document that gets turned into a PDF, so it's manual as well. So any sort of uh, denoting, I think, would be helpful. Um, okay, so we have Ms. Bodie, who's resigned from the North Quarter Authority, that came. That's why we moved those ones ahead. I think after Miss Bodie, then it's really. I think I still have two. Um, or, I believe it would just be the one. Is it just one? Okay. Um, and then we have another one in the works. So 
I feel I, I can tell you confidently as the representative of North Quarter that we'll get those filled so we won't fall into an issue where we don't have enough. Um, Christopher Dolishal for Parks and Rec. I don't think we have any openings on Parks and Rec right now. So it shouldn't be, you know, it's not going to impede a meeting, but we should think about that. Um, and Mr. Marquardt is usually here and we could have him talk about it, but he's not here today. Um, but this would be an opening. I don't believe this, this doesn't have a residency requirement either. Um, and so with the advisory boards, there's a little bit more leeway in, in sort of the, um, the membership. Um, but they would work in conjunction with the Parks and Rec Department. Um, Friends of GR Parks has a seat on that board. Um, I think we have a GRPS representative as well um, on that board. So um, colleagues, if there's individuals that you've talked to that maybe have interest in that. Also, Daniel, could you send us the PIFs that we have right now for Parks and Rec Advisory Board? So I think that could also be another part of that process. And then the next two, so this would be two from Urban Agriculture. Um, and um, we, this is also Mr. Marquat's uh, board where he's a liaison. So if you could also send us any PIFs that you have for Urban Agriculture. And then colleagues, if you have other individuals that you think might be interested. Um, I think Parks and Rec and Urban Agriculture are all mayoral appointments. Correct. That's the other cross-reference I can never remember, um, but I'm pretty sure they are. Um, but again, we could have that discussion, and I don't know, uh, certainly talk to the mayor, but share any thoughts that we have on this body. The Parks and Recreation is actually a city commission appointment, okay. and then it looks as if the urban agriculture has various appointments. Okay. Um, City manager, each individual commissioner. I can provide that information. You as can well. let us know which ones those are. Okay. Absolutely. Thank you, Daniel. All right. So that was helpful because there's a couple other details in that versus just the opening. All right. So we have a couple minutes, well, less than 10 minutes left, but <laughs> maybe even more than that because I got a transition <laughs> too. Um, so we just discussed the board of review, we discussed the civil service board. Um, I don't have any updates for these others. Daniel, I will ask about the DID, if you could go back up, city uh, clerk. I know these ones, we were waiting for their vetting processes. They were reappointments. Do those continue to be, um, they might, are they fully vetted and they're awaiting their action or? There, I'm sorry, there are um, a few that are still being vetted. Okay. Um, but the, I believe there is an appointment at the next meeting. Okay. Great, thank you. Um, for the Civilian Appeals Board colleagues, I think I shared in maybe the first meeting and I've shared um, in other subsequent meetings that we do have some openings here as well as our public safety. I've talked to the mayor, she's doing um, um, interviews. They're not really interviews, but she's talking with individuals about their interests and their, um, um, their ability to serve for her two appointments. Commissioner O'Connor has appointment, and then Commissioner Robbins, you have appointment as well. Um, I think I shared those PIFs with you colleagues. If I haven't, or if there's any new ones, Daniel, um, if you could share them. But um, that's an important that's an important board. It's a, a quasi judicial board, right? Um, yes. I believe so. <laughs> so um, you know, it, it's meeting depending on. Um, complaints that we receive for that body. So it's not happening as, as a standing meeting. 
Can I ask um, a quick question? Absolutely. Um, if something's our own appointment, is that typically denote that it's someone from our ward as well, or can it be any, as long as it's city, like a city residency um, role, it can be anywhere within the city? Yeah, so it is, there is a residency requirement. It's not a ward requirement. Actually, I don't think we have very, go ahead. No, um, <laughs> so for example, Mr. Fyan was um, Commissioner Jones' appointment oh, yes. to um, mm -hmm. public safety, and he was a first ward resident. So yeah, yeah, he's right there. He's kind of been around the line. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so uh, Grand Rapids resident, and then, of course, you know, it says our appointments, we advance that, and then we vote on it in our subcommittee, and then we vote on it in the larger, larger committee, so. Cool, thank you. Yep. Um, we can continue to go down housing appeals. We have one. We usually have one, I will say, on housing appeals. It's 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 a pretty involved board. It does require going to different sites. Um, we... Um, I will share that we have one person for the Michigan Street corridor that will be advanced um, in the next meeting. We just talked about the North Corridor. Um, I shared colleagues with you about the Public Safety Committee. I would say this is the other priority board that I'd like to see filled here um, soon. I think I shared some of the PIFs that we've received thus far. I don't think we've received any other ones, Daniel. Um, but if you have individuals that you think would like to serve, there is not a residency requirement. I would encourage for an issue with public safety, um, you know, having somebody that is familiar with in, uh, engaging with our public safety bodies and um, public safety as a whole is helpful. Um, Southtown, I think we have somebody... Um, that we were looking at, they were still being vetted. Daniel, I know you were checking on that. We, you and I talked about that last week. And then I don't have anything for the TIFA or Uptown. Um, but I will say, Daniel, could you share? So the bid has some openings. And then the corridor improvement authority. So Uptown both has a bid and a SID. Um, and it looks like we have a number of ones for the bid. Are those ones in the process of being reappointed to the body? Do you know? Just sometimes when I see three, I think that might be the case. These were um, folks that decided not to renew their... Okay. Um, appointment. Okay. And Commissioner Purdue, you serve on the bid in the SID, correct? For Uptown? Yes. Mm -hmm. okay. So um, maybe you and I can talk about those openings. I'm just looking at the clock. <laughs> um, and could you send any PIFs that you have for that? I don't, I, or can you check to see if we've gotten any recently, I should say. Um, and then we talked about urban agriculture. We do have one opening from the farmer's market. Um, we are working on some language that we need to pick up again. Um, I'm sorry, not, not, for, not for that body. That's a different body. But we um, have talked to Mr. Marquat. The farmer's market um, system was unable to identify somebody to serve. Um, and we, this one is just open for this time. And I think that's about it. Uh, Commissioner Robbins, are you on the West Side Corridor? I cannot remember. Are you on South Division? I'm on South Division. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, um, but there is one opening on the West Side. Okay. All right. I think that is all that we have time for today, colleagues. If you have additional questions, I one, let me say I appreciate all your questions about process. 
um, thinking through this, asking really good questions as we evolve our processes as well. And thank you, Daniel, for, um, I know I had a lot of emails this past week. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> thank you. Um, that is all that we have for today, and we're adjourned. call the fiscal committee to order here at 831. Uh, first item on the agenda this morning is going to be a resolution approving Grand Rapids Community College HEDA grant reimbursement for $260,763.89. So moved. Moved and supported. Ms. Claren, you want to? Uh, yeah, I guess I can pinch hit this one. This is, uh, we get these peri periodically. Uh, it's simply taking the revenue sharing we get from AT&T, Comcast, and Metronet, um, and then we qualify for reimbursement mainly of capital equipment. Very good. Colleagues, do you have any questions about this one? All right, hearing none, those in favor? Aye. Opposed, same sign. 
Motion carries. Uh, item two is going to be a resolution authorizing the planning department to approve contracts and disbursements for the neighborhood organizations in the amount of $2,500 per organization for a total not to exceed $27,500 to assist in public engagement for the community master plan. So moved. Second. Moved and supported. Uh, pretty self-explanatory. Uh, we are just going to be paying the uh, neighborhood associations to go out and help with uh, engagement uh, around the master planning efforts. Any questions? Yeah, I do have some questions on this one. Um, so I noticed that only those who are receiving CDBG funds are on this list. So I'm curious about that decision. Is that a, is that a, a requirement? Is that a preference? So on and so forth. Uh, looks like uh, our planning director, Ms. Turgelson, is coming up to the podium here. Thank you. I might need a, a team approach this morning with community development. But so initially when the uh, request for proposal went out and the contracts were reviewed by the consultant, uh, we were utilizing what we call a community connector program and that we were paying community members to do some street level engagement and advocacy. In addition to that program, community development um, and I'm sorry if I don't get this technically worded correctly. Uh, community development through their CDBG funding allocated some additional monies uh, through last fiscal year to supplement neighborhood organizations for their engagement work through the master plan process. Unfortunately, uh, there's limitations to CDBG funding. And that limitation is that we can only um, pay those organizations, those select organizations, uh, through round three, which is important, but it doesn't get us through the final round, which is the adoption phase or the final review phase uh, next year. In addition to those uh, funding limitations, uh, they cannot use those funds for things like um, printing, or if they have to pay for utilization of space or snacks, things like that. Um, so this funding, this $2,500, is intended to supplement the CDBG funding to help compensate those organizations through that fourth round and also in case there's incidental costs that cannot legally be used by CDBG funding. The fact that those 11 organizations um, the, the, sorry, those organizations, 11 that are specified, are in addition to the community connectors. The reason why there's only 11 is something I would need community development uh, to address if that's pertinent to your question. So I did notice that there's not a ton of representation from the southeast side of the city. Um, and there are a number of what I would consider key organizations that are missing from this list. But I, I think part of, I assume part of that is because of the limitation around CBDG, right? Who's already receiving those funds and how they can be used. Um, I would need Ms. Banchoff to assist me on that. Um, but I can tell you that there is a really good representation across the city in the third ward specifically, both on the steering committee that's been appointed to guide the process, as well as the community connector program that is being operated um, directly by Sidewalk Detroit, um, but also through the, um, consult the lead consultant and staff. And this isn't the only engagement source from the neighborhood organization, right? There's, there's plenty of other uh, outreach that's happening from other organizations as well. This is just a supplemental to the work from Engage Detroit and other, other outreach efforts that are happening through other organizations. That is correct. Erin, did you want to? Ms. Banchoff, do you want to weigh in at all? The funding for the neighborhood associations is determined annually as part of our neighborhood investment plan funding process. And so those were the organizations that applied for that process and were awarded funding. And LINK does cover for the engagement piece of a large portion of the southeast side. Thank you. All right. Any further questions? 
Chair, I have one, uh, just one comment. Um, Ms. Turkelson, I appreciate the detail that is in the in the agenda item as regards to the number of meetings and the expectations. I think, um, you know, doing this community, I saw the, the, the large event you all had, I think that was like last week, Tuesday, where you brought in, I think there was over 50 individuals here. So I appreciate having that detail about what is expected in return for the um, um, these engagement contracts. So thank you. Thank you. All right, thank you. No further questions, those in favor? Aye. All the same sign, motion carries. Thank you. Item three is a resolution accepting $9,378,000 grant award and authorizing the execution of an agreement with the Michigan Strategic Fund and seven sub-grant agreements for revitalization and placemaking grant program. So moved. Support. Moved and supported. Ms. Claren or Mr. Gracia? Mr. Gracia, there he is. Everyone's very timid to come up today. Oh. Man, they're putting me on the spot. We're going to make everybody sit in the front row next week, Mr. Chair. Just putting that out there. Good morning, everyone. Happy to be here. Uh, so what in front of you is this resolution again, uh, which is uh, the next step in our body of work as we um, applied for this MADC revitalization and placemaking grant opportunity back in June. And that process has now um, progressed, and we do have... Um, a uh, grant agreement from MEDC and this is uh, simply to authorize the receiving of those funds and then uh, execute seven sub-grant agreements per uh, the MEDC request in the total amounts of $9.3 million. Um, I want to call attention that the projects themselves, um, you know, we did uh, very intentionally and strategically uh, look at just distribution by across the city by wards and uh, Ultimately, we had to make a tough decision based on the MADC criteria of those true project-ready um, projects, shovel-ready as they would call them. Um, but we believe we've done an um, admirable job here, and, and we have communicated the um, final award amounts to each of those uh, sub-grantees. Unfortunately, we did receive less funding than originally applied for, but we've made adjustments and identified alternative um, funding sources for a few of those projects that were not be able to be included um, in utilizing a community revitalization program uh, for those two additional projects, and one just stepped away just based on rising costs. Very good. Colleagues, do you have questions for Mr. Gracia? Commissioner uh, Sassi? Uh, thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, thanks for this. Um, I think I just want to highlight how quickly I think that the department and you and other partners work to get this uh, work. I think our approach as a city and working in partnership so that there weren't a lot of like this group over here and this group over there, I, I think it's been successful. So I just wanted to give that, that kudos to the department and all those that were also involved. Um, I want to uh, appreciate the, the ward specific detail and also the highlighting of the housing units and listing out the affordability. As you know, colleagues, we've received a number of questions about um, what are we supporting, what are we working on. This was a major effort and appreciate the 328 that are um, in the category of affordable. Yeah, thank you for the, the compliment and certainly the team had a, we had a mobilize very quickly. Uh, but nonetheless, what I would also point out as we talked about in our previous uh, presentation is the support of our development programs in related to the LIHTC uh, support is vitally important to making those truly less than 60% AMI. Um, without those LIHTC credits, many of these projects uh, will not probably proceed. But uh, we know the importance of that and matching it and leveraging it with our additional uh, funding programs. Okay. Additional questions? 
I think it's just also important to, to point out again. This is part of that you know capital stack we continue to talk about. That it's not you know no one uh, incentive or one uh, funding stream makes a project go around. That it takes a bunch of layers of a, of a cake to make it all uh, come together. And so this uh, you know this nine million dollars in grant money is part of that capital stack that's going to create you know over 130 million dollars worth of investment in our community and add uh, over 360 housing units to Grand Rapids, which is. You know, part of the, the you know the continued need we continue to talk about of of, of the shortage of number of units we have uh, available for folks and the, the the ongoing you know uh, supply and demand that we're just we're just not the supply is not keeping up with demand. So this is a, a huge step to put seven projects in the ground yet this year. Uh, all right, those in favor? Aye. Aye. Oh, same sign. Motion carries. Thank you, sir. Item four, ordinance amending section 4.2 of ordinance 2022-33, new classification, emergency management specialist. So moved. Support. Moved and supported. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Michelle Eddy, the assistant HR director. Um, so this position, the emergency management specialist, is a new classification that we're looking to add to the salary schedule. This grant-funded position will be a full-time role that will focus on the development and the facilitation of training curriculum, along with community engagement. Um, this position will fall under the Grand Rapids Fire Department within the Emergency Management Division. Um, and then this classification was recently reviewed and approved by the Civil Service Board on January 24th of 23. Very good. Colleagues, any questions? All right. Hearing none, those in favor? Aye. Opposed, same sign. Motion carries. Uh, item five is going to be our bid list resolution for February 7, 2023. So moved. Support. Moved and supported. We have uh, just three items on the, uh, the bid list this morning. Any qu questions, colleagues? All right. Hearing none, those in favor? Aye. Opposed, same sign. Motion carries. Uh, item six will be our warrant report January 11, 2023 through January 24, 2023. Mr. Comptroller, good morning, sir. Hey, good morning, commissioners. Uh, for the period of time reference for our warrant report uh, this morning, uh, the city released uh, cash payments totaling approximately $21.6 million, uh, which includes approximately $5.6 million for our employee payroll expense and $58,657 for income tax warrants. In terms of quantity, we issued 415 income tax refunds and 1,030 uh, checks and electronic payments. And as always, the details and tables uh, on the following pages uh, list out all of those, um, both checks and electronic payments uh, that were greater than $20,000. Very good. Colleagues, any questions for the comptroller? All right, with that, uh, that report will be received and filed. And we'll move on to item seven, our treasurer's report for the period January 11, 2023 through January 2023. 20, Mr. Treasurer, good morning, sir. Good morning, Commissioners. Um, with our report today, we're trying to show you a couple of different graphs here. And really, it's to show you one, the first one is the weekly economic index, which is actually a grouping of 10 major different measures that the Fed looks at. And what it's doing is showing you that since about June, July of 2021, we're seeing the slowing of the economy. So as we're continuing to hear the numbers and the Fed interest rate keeps going up and we hear the housing is slowing down and production might be slowing down, we're seeing some layoffs now in the industry, we're starting to see that come down. And that's what the Fed is wanting to do. They were wanting to cool off the economy and bring it back in line so that we're not having as much of an impact of inflation and try to rein that in. And so right now they're still planning to have two more 
uh, rate increases. Uh, really, when we're looking at it, March, uh, another 25 <coughs> basis points is actually targeted about a 96% likelihood that will happen. And then again, in May, another 25 basis points, that's about a 67%. But when we're talking about May, we're still talking about, oh, roughly three months out, and, and that's a really long time in terms of the economy, in, in terms of when things can happen, when things that, that could negatively impact our economy, when something could happen in the stock market or something could happen where we're laying off more people or there's an even more global instability. Those are the things that are going to change that perspective. But in all likelihood right now, we're still, we're still looking at the very good chance we're going to see another 50 basis points added to the interest rates before they might level off and start even considering cooling it off. Um, one of the biggest things that really impacted their view negatively was last week Friday having uh, 517,000 new jobs out there because that that is not is coming into a slowing of the economy and that really is one of the things that they were hoping was going to start to slow down also. With the second graph, and that's actually the yield curve and what we're showing, uh, I want to point out is that from years four through year 30, the market participants actually that are looking at it are saying that's more what we think is going to be there longer term. So they are also seeing an end to the inflation or, or closing it down or bringing it down. And those high rates we, that we're getting right now are going to eventually go away. And then hopefully we're going to be into a more normalized yield curve where you see a lower interest rate in years one, two, three. And up and curve out to a higher yield as you go out 30 years because that's what you're expecting with the money. If I'm going to invest my money for 30 years, I'm going to be expecting a certain return greater than a five-year investment. With our report also, we're showing that we have $543 million of reserve funds and operational funds, but we're earning 2.27% on that money right now. Um, as we approach budget season, I think one of the things that um, CFO Molly Claren uh, and I and others talk about are when new projects come up, when we start talking about bonding for projects, one of the things, one of the challenges I have or one of the questions I ask is can we use some of this $543 million as opposed to go out and issuing more debt? Because a lot of times you're going to issue more debt at a higher interest rate than what we're earning on the funds that we're holding. And so is there, and so that's that delicate balance that we try to play is what's the best mode of operation going forward for these projects? Some of them, when they come into the water department and others that are revenue generating or enterprise funds, it's tied to their revenues. And so we're not going to use these funds. But are there other funds, street lighting or something else, that maybe we could find a way to use some of this money to fund those projects as opposed to issuing new debt? So that's the delicate balance I think we, we go into with the budget season. And when we're looking at what are those projects we want to complete in the next year or two? And also realize that we still have ARPA funds that are, are in there as well, and we'll be spending some of those down also. We have to commit it by the end of next year, fully spent by the end of 2025. So that will also pull some of the funds down there. Because I think, I, if I remember right, what is it, 40, 40 to 45, 50 million we still have left in ARPA that hasn't been committed? That might be what's not been obligated yet, but in my um, update on the 21st or 20, ah. yeah, I'll, I'll be re I'll be reporting on that. But um, for our treasury filing, we have declared or, or actually expended through December 31st uh, about 20 million of okay. 92. So. so that's the delicate balance that treasury plays with fiscal services as we look to get those monies spent down. We're also investing those ARPA dollars to earn the best interest rate we can right now until you spend those funds. 
So, you know, really it's it's that delicate balance right now of what is really the dollar amount we want to hold in reserve and what is the dollar amount we want to actually apply to projects we have going on or upcoming. And so that's what we look at. You know, you can have a lot of money in your savings account, but if you're just leaving your savings account using your credit card, um, there's that balance. All right, very good. Colleagues, any questions for the treasurer? All right, hearing none, uh, that report will be received and filed. And uh, with that, uh, we will conclude our fiscal committee at 848. Thank you, everyone. Thank you.
That clock right. Good morning, everyone. It is approximately 9.15, time for the Community Development Committee meeting to start. On last Tuesday, Mr. Hundert asked me not to be so somber. So uh, this morning, I woke up with the City Commission on my mind. So. First on our, on our agenda is a resolution uh, scheduling a public hearing for February 21, 2023, to consider the commemorative uh, destination of 33rd Street uh, from Eastern Avenue to 1,317 feet east of Eastern Avenue as a Bishop Dennis McMurray Way. I think it's important that we truly consider this uh, as a understatement in my part that this is a dynamic thing to have happen. At this point in time, I'm going to ask my committee if they will give me a Support. 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 It's been moved and supported. At this point in time, I want to just say that McMurray family is in the audience. It is an honor to be able to honor your father and the work that he has done throughout this city. He's an outstanding man of faith, a man of God. It reminds me of the pioneer of Bishop William C. Abney when we did the same thing for him years ago. Uh, I am honored to sit here at this point in time to see that this does take place. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Second on our agenda is a resolution approving the fireworks discharge permit to Strictly FX LLC for interior special effects at the Van Dandel Arena in connection with the WWE event on February 27, 2023. So moved. Support. Go right here, sir. <laughs> Morning. Uh, yeah, it's WWE, so uh, that's the packet what they would think they might possibly maybe do so uh yeah we'll be looking at it closely when they get here because they have quite a lot of flames for this one so i think they're trying to regain attention but that's all right we'll keep it safe colleagues all in favor aye Next on our agenda is a resolution scheduling a public hearing on february 21 2023 for commitment on proposed site improvement at Highland Park for submission of a 300,000 Michigan Natural Resource Trust Fund grant application with a total project cost estimated at 629,500. Mr. Marquardt. Did I say your name right? Oh, so moved. Support. You know, we're going to get this together uh, sure pretty are. soon, you know. Um, you think being here four years, I would have it. But, you know, when you get in this position, things, your mindset changes for a minute. That's all right. But um, I'm ready. Good morning, commissioners. Uh, this public hearing is for a grant application to the state of Michigan Department of Natural Resources for $300,000 for improvements specifically at Highland Park. Um, the grant request would cover expenses for a new accessible restroom facility that we intend to build up there in addition to building some new pathways. Uh, some bench seating and other uh, new park amenities. Um, as a reminder, these grants are due on April 1st of every year, um, and it takes the state of Michigan uh, through the better part of the year, and we hear back uh, from the board on their decisions by December of 2023. Uh, so a little bit of a wait time there, but uh, these are important dollars that we've been able to leverage over the years, allowing us to go so much further with our millage uh, investments. 
colleagues. What covers the, the that remaining 329? Yeah, good question, Commissioner. Uh, the remaining balance is then covered by the Parks Millage funding, which has been approved by the Park Advisory Board. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Next on our resolution is number four is a resolution awarding a contract with Lodestar Construction Inc. for trench repairs over water and sewer lines, curb repairs, parking lot repairs, and traffic calming at various locations, contract 2023-1, and the amount of 825567 with the total amount not to exceed 985000 so moved. Good morning, Commissioners. Good morning, Mr. Burke. So uh, the Public Works Department, first of all, performs a majority of the trench repair that occurs or needs to happen in city limits. But we utilize um, this contract to make repairs over water and sewer um, utility trenches um, along MDOT trunk lines and in our utility customer uh, communities, so outside the city limits. Um, we also utilize this contract for things like curb repair work, um, specialty repairs like uh, when brick pavement is impacted, and for the installation of uh, traffic calming features that we work with Mobile GR. I uh, received two bids on January 17th, um, and these bids are based on estimated quantities. So we take a look at what we typically see in a given year, put together a, a unit price-based bid, and uh, um, that's what the evaluation is done on. So the um, Lodestar submitted the low bid in that amount of $825,567, which was under our estimate of $857,000. And Lodestar will be utilizing a 16% uh, micro-local business participation um, rate on the uh, on the work that is to be done. The contract's for a one-year period, but it does reserve the right at the city's option to extend for up to two years if, uh, if the city chooses to do so. Um, there is an uh, escalator built in of a 7.5% increase per year as um, stipulated in the bid, but we would come back to you next year um, with that request if it's uh, prudent to do so. So costs will be charged to the appropriate department uh, budgets as these repairs are required and asking for your approval of this award to Lodestar, uh, putting the contract in place with that total authorized uh, not to exceed amount of $985,000. Now it's good to know that it's going to be 16.2% for the macro loans for the businesses. Um, will they be subcontracting out to a number of different contractors or just can you tell me how many are the yes so the sub that they listed um, to receive the micro local um, uh, percentage discount in their bid was Duran and Duran does um, concrete work so that's uh, that amount equates to about one hundred thirty four thousand dollars worth of the estimated work would go to Duran they may utilize other subs but uh, that was that was the only MLBE that was that was listed okay colleagues any questions I do have one quick question. Um, could you just shed some light on the types of traffic calming measures or procedures that that'll be funding? Yeah, so traffic calming um, measures are typically you know isolated um, small locations that require a lot of you know handwork or unique work. And I think we install um, speed tables or speed humps, so things that are generally smaller in nature. But I'll I'll ask Mr. Naramore to weigh in on any others. Those have primor or historically been the majority of them, but we're also now looking at doing traffic circles and chicanes and other types of, you know, diversion uh, on these local streets. Gotcha. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, just 
going back and maybe I missed it. So you talked about um, the MLBs that they were using um, and they only found one that met the needs that they had. Um, that's, that's the one that they listed again. Um, you know, they'll, they'll perform a majority of the work themselves, but when it comes to concrete work, um, they listed Duran as the, the subcontractor that they would utilize for, um, uh, for that portion of the work. Okay. Thank you. All in favor. Aye. 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 Number five is a resolution, uh, awarding a contract with Dave Cole Decorators, Inc for a city hall interior stairwell painting and, way and wayfinding improvements uh, in the amount of $74,470 with the total amount not to exceed 616000 So moved. Support. Good. So this, this project includes uh, repainting of the north and south stairwells of City Hall, um, including uh, painting all walls, stairs, railings, conduits, uh, and the ceilings. And also as part of the project, looking to improve um, wayfinding and identification in the stairwells um, to have an oversized floor name and number on each landing, noting which stairwell location and uh, each stairwell would have its own unique color. So for instance, in an emergency, someone could say I'm in the blue stairwell or they may not know whether it's north or south. Um, and so we received three bids on January 12th. Um, Dave Cole submitted that low bid of $74,470 under the uh, estimate of $150,000 for the project. Um, so asking for your approval of the award to Dave Cole uh, with a total not to exceed 116000 and financing for that work will come from the facilities management fund. I'm glad that this project was upgraded to paint everything. Yeah. Uh, who picks out the colors? <laughs> the, uh, the project team okay. um, works on that, and not I. Uh, so. <laughs> Can you make one wall purple? I can I can ask about that. All right, good. Yeah, if you make it purple and then make the stairwell gold, I'm good. Okay. <laughs> make that the safe place. Safe place. Not be in agreement with that. <laughs> Colleague, any any questions? Okay. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Last and not least is a resolution scheduling a public hearing for February 21, 23 to consider a revised Brownfield. Uh, planned amendment for the Talbot Quimbley LLC redevelopment project at 20, 20, at, 20, at 220 Quimbley Street Northeast. So moved. Support. So this resolution again setting this public hearing for February 21st, 7 p.m. Uh, for this project located at 220 Quimby Street Northeast uh, for a new construction construction of a new 43,000 square foot four-story residential building and a small commercial space on the ground floor. In total, residential units are at 72, including ground floor units and a thousand square foot of commercial space. Total construction, uh, total investment is about $13.2 million and const hard construction of 9.7. Um, again, the developer re is requesting reimbursement of approximately $648,000 over a nine-year period for environmental assessments, due care, demolition, and site preparation. And it's a vacant site, so uh, utilizing a, a vacant site in infill development. And uh, the project has also, the developer is also committing to 10% um, utilization or approximately $968,000 of the overall project costs. And um, the project itself has received approval from the Planning Commission. 
um, and received a parking waiver for it at that planning commission meeting and letters has also received a letter of support from the Creston Neighborhood Association. Colleagues, any questions? All in favor? Aye. Aye. Mm. I have it at this point in time is approximately uh, 927 a.m. This will conclude the committee development committee meeting. Uh, was it a little more up? Just We're getting there. Okay. All right. <laughs> this concludes our meeting for this morning. Have a great day.
right. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our City Commission meeting today, this uh, lovely February 7th. Uh, we'll get started today. So, Commissioners, we have three action items before us today, and then we have two presentations. We have a presentation on the Economic Development Department's 2022 annual report. We have an update on our community master plan. We have some community engagement uh, sessions coming up. So we are eager to hear an update about that and kick off with our consultants, the really important work that's before us as we update the master plan. And then commissioners, directly after uh, our committee of the whole meeting, we will go into executive session. We have three legal opinions to discuss. Uh, and then we have back in this room, those of you who serve on the public safety committee, uh, that's at 12.30, and then we're back in here all together today at 2 p.m. Uh, so with that, we'll get started. Uh, and probably before I go to the briefings, I'll ask for a motion to go into executive session, just so we have that out of the way. And, and uh, City Attorney, we're in Law Library? Yes. Okay. All right, so with that, let's start with the first one. This is a resolution adopting an amended City Commission Policy 1100-05 to recognize the annual Cesar Chavez Social Justice March as a city-sponsored event. Can I get a motion? Moved. Support. Support. All right, moved and supported. Ms. Pittman, you want to tell us about this? Good morning. Good morning. The Cesar E. Chavez Social Justice March event is an annual community celebration committed to equity equality, inclusion, and preserving history and culture by the intentional action of connecting the past and present generations to continue to push forward for justice. Through the act of providing city sponsorship for the Cesar E. Chavez Social Justice March, we will help <clears throat> sustain the legacy and teachings of Mr. Chavez's values and principles of nonviolence for generations to come. This motion is being put forth um, with the support of the committee to honor Cesar Chavez. Great, thank you. Commissioners, any questions or comments? I know we're all familiar with this important event. All right, I'll call the question. All those in favor say aye. 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 Those opposed? It carries. Thank you. Thank you. All right, next we have a resolution scheduling a public hearing for February 21st and authorizing publication of a proposed amendment to Chapter 140 of Title Eight of the City Code, which is our property maintenance code. Can I get a motion? So moved. Support. All right, moved and supported. So, commissioners, this is coming back before us after our uh, discussion at one of our prior meetings where we gave some input and direction to city staff. So we have uh, Ms. Bohatch here to tell us about this item. And again, this is uh, to schedule the public hearing. Uh, so we, we are not voting to uh, affirm this code, this ordinance yet today. It's really just to set the public hearing so that we can hear more from our community. Uh, Ms. Bohatch? Yes, um, so we've been asked to provide an overview of the proposed amendments um, to the property maintenance code. And there are three primary components to the, of the, to the changes. Um, the most significant, though, is that of adding a chapter to address lead-based paint and require lead, sorry, lead dust sampling um, in pre-1978 rental housing. Um, and uh, just to give a little background of how we got here and um, what we've done um, as we've been moving this forward, um, the uh, reducing childhood lead poisoning has been a priority of the city for many years. It's been in, uh, included in strategic plans and legislative agendas and um, as it identified as a program operational priority since 2004 in community development. Um, 
the mayor appointed an advisory committee that worked for more than two years to develop recommendations um, to further advance this work. Uh, conducting lead-based paint inspections to the residential rental certification program was one of these recommendations. Staff was directed to um, come up with a proposal on how to approach implementation of that recommendation. Um, and as we were working on this, it required a lot of um, I'd say a lot of research, um, a lot of interaction with the state, um, and then we finally were able to bring it forward to you, but in the interim, we brought to you very high level, very high level concepts um, over a several um, uh, presentations um, throughout, um, maybe through strategic plan updates and um, budget <coughs> workshops, things of that nature, where it was very high level. Um, really got into the details, though, of how, um, what our proposal was. Um, most recently and brought that to the City Commission on November 10th and then again on January 24th. Uh, we did some community engagement, um, community information sessions that were held on January 4th and 5th that primarily focused on the lead-based paint um, screening requirements. Um, we also held a session with um, representatives of the Rental Property Owners Association, um, which focused on the lead part of this as well as other components of um, the property maintenance code. Um, amendments and then there was also some session um, meetings that were held um, with the parents of healthy homes and the community collaborative on climate change um, in addition to that um, we have been um, partnering with the EPA to provide um, renovation repair and painting program training and certifications we've have hosted uh, four of those have been hosted in our community with a hundred participants and there's another one scheduled for February 19th so as the mayor indicated, um, what today's agenda item is about and what it, um, what it does and what it doesn't do. Um, first, it really makes public the proposed language um, that would be amended in the property maintenance code. So in the public agenda, there is a tract changes and a clean copy version of the full ordinance, and then a summary of those changes. Um, your action today would schedule a public hearing for February 21st at 7 p.m. to obtain comments on those proposed changes, and it authorizes the city clerk to publish that information. Um, it does not seek approval of the ordinance, and it does not even establish a date to consider adoption. <coughs> that will be something that you do at a later date. So just to make sure everyone understands, our um, property maintenance code is uh, uses the 2012 International Property Maintenance Code as its base, so that is the starting um, point of our code, and what you see um, is our local portion of that code. Um, the um, International um, Code Council is who um, prepares the IPMC and updates it and publishes it. It's copyrighted. Um, it has to be purchased, so that's the base of, of the code, and then our local amendments um, is attached to that. So what's proposed to change, um, we've sort of structured here in three components. Um, as we went through this process and we were asked to um, develop um, a lead inspection part of our code, it only made sense to look at our whole code and look at a comparison between the 2012 and the 2021 version. And what's proposed is that we actually update our base code to the 2021 version so that we have the most up-to-date code. Um, and then we are identifying local amendments to our IPMC, um, <clears throat> excuse me, to the IPMC through the property maintenance code. And then of course the addition um, of chapter 12 lead-based paint um, 
the IPMC itself from, compared from 2012 to 2021, uh, while, while if you were to look at it, it would look to be very significant in changes, but there's a lot of just cleanup in terms of language and clarification, some additional definitions, as well as introductory language to chapters. So that's really not things that affect um, our code currently. Um, there is um, significant additions to fire safety um, and fire safety and protection systems um, that are identified in the new version of the IPMC, as well as um, specifically indicating that space heaters are not allowed as, um, uh, to meet heating requirements in properties. That wasn't there before. And the addition of carbon monoxide alarms. Um, another significant change is that it takes the means of appeal and removes it from a chapter in the code to an appendix, which means it's no longer part of the code. Um, all of these things, um, <clears throat> excuse me, that, that portion will not really impact our code because we have our own um, housing appeals, uh, appeals board and process for that that complies with, um, and it does comply with the IPMC's version. But again, this is not in code now, it's actually an appendix. So to, our, um, to get to our local amendments to the IPMC, um, the changes will are basic, some of them are very basic, which are just section numbers that change to make sure that it follows the convention of the IPMC. So if you're looking from one to the other, that you can understand it. Um, we insert information that's required for our local program. An example of that is that we have to identify who's responsible for implementation and administration of the code. So for example, we would say that that's the code compliance department and that there's a designated code official. Um, the, an item that we have uh, identified for our local code to be, to be included is that we actually set work hours for condemned properties between 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. That's to ensure that they are not occupied in the meantime, so they actually are vacant. Um, we omit sections that duplicate existing codes. Um, those would be our nuisance codes, um, those that uh, pertain to house numbering, and our fire safety. So while the IPMC's new version has a lot of fire safety code in it, we revert to our local code. Um, there is a section in our, um, in our code that um, that identifies the, the certificate of compliance for our rental certification program. Currently, you can receive two, four, or six years durations for those certificates. The single family component of that only allows for four and six year certifications. Um, insertion would be to um, permit for two, four, and six year um, certifications for single family, which in essence means for any property that's a rental property that it's consistent, you can obtain a two, four, or six year certification. And while it um, appears clear to us um, in the language that a six year certificate cannot be obtained if the previous certification was two years, um, so you would have had to have had a four year before you can get a six year, um, there seems to be often be challenges um, to that notion. So just specifying it in code that that's the case um, to make it more clear. And there's currently a limit for transferring a certificate of compliance um, that is 90 days. So if you have a, um, had an inspection, obtained your certificate of compliance, and then went to sell your property, um, if I had a, a say a two or a four year certification currently, or whatever that duration is, you, you 
can transfer that, and if I sell it to someone else, they can obtain that certificate as long as it occurred within 90 days. So once, and this is proposing that it be changed to um, one year. So you'd have one year to be able to transfer your property. Uh, there's a mechanical system inspection language um, in our code, and we would like to have that just align with the duration of the certificate rather than every four years. So right now you're required to have it inspected at least every four years. Um, if you have a um, six-year or a um, two-year cert that can cause you some difficulties in terms of, of scheduling and keeping track of that, um, and it creates extra inspections. So the concept here is just to make it align with whatever the duration of the cert would be. Um, there is some language in the IPMC uh, for enforcement for occupiable workspaces. We do not enforce occupiable workspaces. We don't really um, regulate that. And this is really just about the temperature in those spaces. And so we would omit that from uh, within our local code. And then there's a, a section for, um, we would suggest removing residential from a sections that address abandoned or vacant structures. Um, this would allow us to, right now we have two codes, the property maintenance code and a building maintenance code. Um, by doing this, this would allow us to eliminate the use of the building maintenance code, so we would no longer need that. And it would also allow us to um, include commercial structures in our blight program. And that provide, would provide us the flexibility to work with property owners toward those repairs. Um, right now, there's very stringent um, timelines in terms of, 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 of getting into compliance with the building maintenance code. And also, it only allows for us to issue, um, when we do enforcement, misdemeanor warrants. This would allow us to do it similar to what we do with abandoned vacant residential structures. So we have the ability to work with the property owner. And also, if there's not enforcement, I'm sorry, if enforcement is needed, it allows us to um, issue civil infractions rather than um, going to that um, uh, more stringent step of a misdemeanor warrant. And then we have, of course, the adding of Chapter 12, the lead-based paint. And Paul Hahn, our lead program specialist, will walk through those very quickly with you in terms of each of the sections in that code. Great. Thank you. Welcome, Mr. Hahn. Good morning. Good Thank morning. you for the opportunity, Mayor, Commissioners, and City Manager. Um, so Chapter 12, we've talked about this recently, uh, so I'm going to be fairly brief today. Um, but just to give a high-level uh, recap, um, this uh, chapter is being introduced really to ensure that there is ongoing maintenance between certifications. I mean, it's a six-year period, so this uh, would encourage maintenance on an ongoing basis during the interim, and it would also encourage the use of lead-safe work practices. The way lead gets into a uh, rental unit, into the environment, is by the deterioration of that paint and, and or the disturbance of that paint. So it's an attempt to encourage the uh, maintenance over time and the use of lead-safe work practices. If those are done, little lead gets into the environment. And our focus is on the interior. So uh, as we move forward with the introduction of this new chapter, we bring down three items that are in our current code. Those have to do with deteriorating paint, soil, uh, no bare soil, around perimeter of older buildings, and no paint chips. There are two new requirements. Uh, if there is a visual inspection conducted and violations are found, peeling paint is found, there are requirements for clearance at that point in time. 
And then secondly, there's a requirement to uh, conduct a dust screening activity that would catch what the eyes don't see. Um, a corollary to this might be our mechanical safety inspections. Uh, when those are conducted, we're looking for carbon monoxide. You can't uh, see that carbon monoxide is in the environment. You can't taste or smell it. So we use instrumentation to make sure that that piece that visually could not be seen by an inspector is not a hazard to the tenants. And so the same uh, uh, type of rationale is being utilized here for dust. Um, and then we fix the, the remedy for the violations. The fix is to either achieve clearance or to uh, prove that there's no lead-based paint uh, util utilizing a state-certified inspector. So there are two ways that this goes. We talked about these. Um, one is the screening that is for units that are uh, in compliance with the visual standard. That happens um, uh, in the vast majority of cases. That would be done by a third party. We are suggesting that four rooms be sampled, two samples in each room, one floor, one windowsill. Uh, our recommendation is 90 days prior to recertification so that that information is current. It's not a year, two years, three years old. And that uh, we would use standards that are consistent with the EPA's uh, lead dust hazard standard. Uh, most importantly, because that is a standard that is both science-based, but also is uh, looking at a tolerance because of uh, you know what is needed for uh, the renovation, repair, and uh, rental property industry. If the uh, property does fail the visual inspection, which we expect would be the case in uh, a slim minority of the uh, inspections, we are going to also request that we watch for dust to ensure that repairs made are made with safe work practices. And so we would require a state certified clearance. It would have to be done before the property is certified and it would clear that location. And I'm sorry, I did not advance the slide, so I just hit those two all in one breath. Uh, last, or, uh, next, we would uh, coordinate with state and federal rules. That's what 1207 speaks to. Uh, the federal and the state have uh, things to say about lead, and we would uh, align with them. We would make exemptions to this program for certain properties. Owner-occupied properties would be exempt because they are not part of the rental certification. We would exempt senior housing because of the lack of presence of children for whom this is the greatest risk. And we would exempt short-term uh, rentals such as hotels um, because, again, it's exposure over time that is really the greatest risk for children. Um, and then occupant protection would be as written on the slide there, things such as uh, not entering the work site, uh, having daily access to facilities, and then their belongings being protected from uh, security and from dust. Um, lastly, we would coordinate with local public health. Uh, we would, uh, if they were doing an investigation, we would consider some of the findings of that investigation with an emphasis mainly on those dust samples that we reference in our code and the standards that we set in our code. Uh, they do have different, a different set of standards. We would be looking for the things that are consistent with our code in an effort to collaborate with um, local public health, Kent County Health Department. Then lastly, you've seen this uh, flow chart. This is kind of how things operate. Uh, that we are recommend, recommending so that all properties have the value of the safety of that lead dust sampling. Because again, uh, this is uh, when the advisory uh, asked for this work. One of the things the advisory was keying in on was the visual inspection that's currently in our code. Uh, does a lot of really, really good things, 
but it falls short of uh, the kind of safety that we might desire. And so the dust sampling would seek to uh, capture those things that the eyes don't see. Uh, and it would be used to not, not as a gotcha, but really as a uh, effort to ensure lead safe work practices are being followed and that in the interim between the period of inspection that properties are being maintained. Again, paint only gets into these properties through disturbing, or excuse me, lead only gets into these properties through the disturbing of lead-based paint and through the use of unsafe work practices and or from neglected maintenance. Uh, that's how the paint deteriorates and becomes accessible to children. So I will close with that. All right, thank you. Ms. Bullhatch, any final comments before I open up for questions? Yes, so again, um, we're, so the next steps really are to hold the public hearing so we can obtain feedback and then um, final review and discussion by the city commission prior to, any con prior to consideration for adoption. Um, so, um, you know, after today, we'll go back and um, continue to work on things. We have some, we owe you some responses to some questions and so we'll take those responses along with anything that we need to respond to yet today, from today and, and get packaged up for you and be able to move forward. Great, thank you. All right, I appreciate that. I'm glad to see this come forward. Uh, commissioners, any questions or comments? Commissioner O'Connor? Thank you, Mayor. Uh, so the introduction of the update from the 2012 to 21 property maintenance code, it's first I've heard of that, so that's a, you know, something new that we're gonna be talking about that you know, hasn't been brought up until we suddenly are scheduling a public hearing, so I'm a little frustrated that I didn't know that was coming down the pipe. Um, you know, I get that we want to want to update codes, and you know we do that with all our building codes, mechanical codes. But I, I just, I guess, from a practicality standpoint, there's a few high-level things here. But I really want to know uh, a little better about when a property is being inspected by one of our uh, code enforcement staff for rental property. What are the things that are going to they're going to be looking for that are different in the 2021 code than the 2012 code? Uh, and yeah, very specifically what they're going to be. I mean, they know that when they go to a property, they have a checklist. They have certain things they're looking for. So I just want to know what the, you know, in real terms, uh, as uh, you know, someone that has interacted with code enforcement staff before, what is the what is the practical application of the, the, the updated code? I think that's... Yeah, and, and can you make sure all of us get a copy of the track changes that include all of those? It, it was in um, the agenda packet. Yeah. I know, but maybe just make sure. Okay, that sure, if you'd like it to be sent to you directly, that's fine. Um, so, um, Commissioner O'Connor, actually, um, I did indicate on several occasions that we were looking at the um, new version of the IPMC. It was not presented, it, um, identified in the presentations because the focus was on lead, but it was highlighted in those presentations. And in fact, I think even in the um, work session, um, a recent work session. So um, I apologize if that was not clear to you, um, but it has been I, um, notif notified, not the specific changes um, side by side, but that we are look we're looking at that. Um, and I don't know if you, do you want those responses right now or do you yeah, want them in? This is just, you're just publishing a hearing. Okay. So, uh, yeah. yeah. I don't need to digest everything right now. Okay, thank you. Yeah, and, and maybe just add that to the list of, I know there were some questions last time as well and then as you have that information, if you can send it to the full commission, I think that'd be helpful. Thank you. Yeah. Other questions and comments, uh, Commissioner Moody, and then Commissioner Knight. Yeah, thank you, Ms. Wahach and uh, Mr. Hahn for this report. What I'm concerned about is the removal of residents and rental properties. So if there is found to be any dust or lead paint in homes, uh, will the um, owner of the rental property remove the paint, remove the residents from the home? and whether the residents, once the work is done, will they be able to get back into the home? 
and will they provide some kind of financial assistance while they're out of the home? So that's a lot of questions there. Um, first and foremost, it really depends on what the level of, um, of work is being done. And I think we talked about that um, last time in terms of, you know, if it is something that is, you know, painting of surfaces that a room can be contained, um, as uh, I think it was identified in this, is that you have to be able to um, have access to certain components of your living environment, the kitchen, the ba bathroom, um, for a period of time. So it really depends on the level of, of work that's being done. And in some cases, there will be the requirement that someone has to leave the unit for the work to be completed. Um, our code does not specify or identify how that happens or who pays for that. Um, but I think the assumption can be made if you're a property owner and it's your property that you would be responsible for that. Yeah, thank you. What I don't want to see happen is the property owner get to the point whereas he or she have to redo their whole apartment, but then you displace a family with a high rate of rent going on in our society right now. It's difficult for people to find housing that someone will be left out because of this type of program that's coming into play. I'm just concerned that is there a way that they can still maintain their standard of living and get the work done without being displaced. And I want to make sure that the homeowner, not the homeowner, but the renter uh, knows that there are implications to this type of um, situation when it comes to doing dust and when it comes to the lead paint. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Commissioner. And, and Connie, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, you know, hopefully the, the, neat, the level of renovations aren't great and the family would be able to stay while the repairs are being done. Um, but if it is required for a larger scale full remediation, my understanding is typically that that takes a couple weeks and the, the temporary housing is typically in uh, like a residence in or a hotel that has access to a kitchen and a bathroom. But... Um, Typically, it's not for a long period of time that a family would have to be out of the home during those repairs. Uh, is am I our, correct or city, am I wrong? In our city program, right? In our city, uh, program. in our city program, it's typically one week, and. Um, for rental um, properties that are participating in our program, but this is specific to the city's program. Um, relocation is paid for as part of that program. Mm -hmm. That's, what, that's, that's what I want to hear. But this is broader. So this our is, program is not necessarily just attached to this ordinance. The ordinance would stand alone. With that said, we would be working with property owners where they did need potential support for remediation. I mean, we already do that to a large extent. Yes, we have... We, we do, um, and we do have a new application going forward. It's due on March 14th, and um, where we will be working to do more rental properties um, in our new round of funding that we would anticipate and hopefully be successful in receiving. Um, we've received those funds since 2004, um, so not to be overly confident, but we think we have a good track record to be able to yeah. obtain those resources. Great. City Manager, I know we've talked about this as well. Lead Hazard Control Program. Yeah. Thank, thank you, Mayor. Thank you, um, Ms. Bohatch and Mr. Hahn, for the work that bringing forth this item. I, I do want to remind the Commission 
when we had the briefing last week, I um, raised as a concern the implementation of the code fully citywide to make sure that we address both intended and unintended consequences around displacement, maybe piloting a program so we would know all of the implications as we've discussed. It was clear to me from the dais that was not the desire. Uh, as part of the ordinance, bring it forward. And so we, we brought those issues forward. Now all of the other potential programming issues to help with displacement or help with um, cleaning, uh, those are future program issues that we can consider um, as part of the budget process. And so uh, again, my, my concern is um, implementing an ordinance without known intended and unintended consequences. So we can have the public hearing, uh, but if there's any reluctancy about the impact, my um, direction to staff would um, not bring the actual um, item back immediately until we work through some of those concerns. Yeah, and, and I think that is the conversation we should be having as part of the budget process if we move forward with this, is how do we make sure that we have resources available to support any families um, that need assistance if there is some displacement during remediation. Commissioner? I think so to go back on what city manager just said, I think we need to step back a little bit, even though I absolutely want us to be able to protect our children because at the end of the day, that's what it's about, our kids being protected. But there are a lot of questions um, that literally even myself sitting here, I could probably go through them and it still would be too much and not be able to be answered today. But that's one of the main questions. But then there's a whole lot of other questions that come about. Like, do we actually have any idea what it's going to cost to do that? Like, have we had a, a sample home on what it would cost if a full remediation had to happen, if a partial had to happen, right? What that's actually going to cost um, the property owners, Right. Uh, because we have to look at both sides. Right. And there's got to be a, 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 a good balance in between there that's protecting uh, the residents that are living in these spaces and protecting um, and helping these homeowners as well. Um, because that's added cost, right? So some of the questions that came to me is, who does the visual inspection, right? And who says that that person that goes in to do a visual, visual um, inspection is not visually inspecting based on their own uh, beliefs or how they were raised. And so you go into a messy house and you just say, okay, well, this needs to be fixed because the house is messy, right? Um, who, what is the actual procedure, right? How does it actually work from step one to the end to see if a person is in that process and what does it cost, right? And is, is, is this a charge that is put on um, the property owner every time an inspection comes out, they have to pay this fee every time this person comes out? Is that an extra cost that's put on them, right? What are those types of protections for uh, property owners that have the financial hardship? What, what is the, um, is, is there opportunities to create some type of offset? And I think I said this before, um, for the people that are owning these homes because all of these costs are gonna add up, right? And when you get to the place where all these costs are add up, as a person that owns a home or multiple homes and that's renting, I'm gonna step back and say, well, I don't really wanna be paying all this money, so I'm gonna just put in a notice to reclaim my property back, 
right? And so we have another person that's displaced. Or do I have to pay the cost to put this person into a hotel while I get all of these repairs done? And if I don't have the finances to do all these repairs done or get all these repairs done, then how do I... How do I, I keep my finances intact? Well, maybe I'll just put a lease in, in place. I had this discussion earlier. Put a lease in place that um, these people can only be in here for a certain amount of time. And then when my, my cert certificate is up for renewal, I don't have to put anybody back in that house. I don't have to worry about it. So now we got people who are displaced still again. Well, I think those are good questions. I actually think we have a lot of that information already. Um, fortunately, other cities have led the way when it comes to lead testing, so we have good information about how other cities have implemented a similar program, and we have good data from them about the program and uh, potential ramifications and cost. Uh, and so maybe we can share some of that. And then we also have some data that we collected and information we collected, especially from other cities, on, on impact uh, during our task force that we had a couple years ago. So we can share that information as well and make sure that the commission has that backdrop uh, and that background information. And then some of the other questions related to, you know, cost and support. I know that you all have talked about some ideas for that as well and what that would look like. So I think those are all good questions, and it's a good, I know we've been having this conversation for a long time, and uh, some of us were a part of those conversations over the last uh, several years. So re-sharing uh, all of that information, I think, would be helpful, uh, both with this body but also with the public. We will do that. Yeah. Uh, I'll go to Commissioner Isasi, and, or let's go Commissioner Purdue and then Isasi. Good morning. <clears throat> um, so I think after last weeks, two weeks ago, the last meeting, the sentiment really was we didn't want to sit on this for another year or two. We really wanted to take some action. Um, as you mentioned, two weeks ago, it really was a high-level overview, lots of great discussion. And then kind of seeing the proposed language brings up a lot more questions around what would this look like in practice, those intended and unintended consequences, to make sure that we're prepared. I wonder if there is a happy median saying, we need to take action on this, and maybe um, as is um, might not be the full path forward. Might, might there be an option to administratively begin to implement some of these changes, but without some of the... Um, the punitive consequences. So for example, on slide 14, um, there's examples of certificates of compliance might be suspended. What if we did a, almost like a study, right? So begin to administer it through the dust sampling, track the data to see how this impacts owners, what the cost will look like for us, but then um, maybe phase in some of the, uh, some of the proposals around um, you know, suspensions and kind of other uh, other consequences if things aren't up to stuff. So those are some ideas I have. I mean, I still really want to move forward with this and recognize the need to balance um, intended and unintended consequences for families as well as for uh, property owners. Um, so, so those are kind of some of my thoughts and questions um, and looking forward to continue the conversation, but just wonder what is there a path forward that kind of that can meet those those two requirements of taking action for without maybe in its entirety because we want to be cautious and, and careful? Mayor. So so you're mostly thinking about the compliance component and and coming alongside at more of a supporter than a enforcer 
however, the, the actual testing and finding out that a home is safe for kids is still a priority. Mm -hmm. So that's what you're, yeah. It's good yeah. feedback. City uh, manager. Um, we, we cannot write this <clears throat> ordinance on the dais and add or subtract at this point. I, I would not feel comfortable doing that for public hearing. So we either are going to move forward with the language <clears throat> that we have today for public hearing that is both publicly being shared today, but as Ms. Bohach has said, has been, except for the Rental Property Maintenance Code, I think the section, uh, Chapter 12, the lead portion, was shared with those stakeholder groups and has been shared with members of this dais prior to today. So again, if the concern is about the implementation, I would rather not start a public process on a hearing of an ordinance that was majority supported last week, now question this week, and it just sends the community, we have enough issues that we're focusing on. I would rather come back and address all the issues so we know what version of the ordinance we are putting forward so that the public is really clear on what this commission wants to do. Well, I appreciate that, City Manager, but I, I am personally, I'm supportive of moving forward with the public hearing with what is before us and hearing from the community um, and being able to answer the questions posed. Uh, I actually think that some of the questions can be answered pretty clearly and directly based on all the work that's already been done over the last several years. Uh, and having a public hearing gives an opportunity for others in the community to be heard. And then we as a body can take into consideration that feedback and decide when to move forward and if we want to make amendments. Uh, and so to me, this is a first step is moving forward with the public hearing, and it's a it's a critical step to, to change the ordinance. So I'm still supportive, moving forward, having a public hearing, hearing from the community, and then making a decision. I'm gonna go to Commissioner Isasi first. Commissioner, and then I'll come back to you. Thank you, Mayor. Um, thanks for the presentation. Um, my comment was going to be, the resolution in front of us is to schedule a public hearing. And so I wanna keep the main thing the main <clears throat> thing. And um, this is the process in front of us. I think we've had some discussions with some other issues about, uh, not necessarily related to this issue, but around public safety. We need to have, I believe, a public hearing to move that process forward. I think that's appropriate. Uh, people can share. Um, individuals have reached out to me um, as well, and I'm committed to, to connecting with anybody who would like to talk to me individually. Um, um, either a homeowner, uh, you know, rental property um, association, I'm committed to that. But I also think let's focus on what's in front of us. Um, and I am committed to the public hearing. I shared some of my sentiments of, you know, what I was supportive of last week. Um, city manager, I always appreciate you, you saying that. That hasn't changed for me. So I am um, prepared to vote yes on this resolution to schedule the public hearing. Thank you. Commissioner, uh, Commissioner O'Connor, and then Commissioner Robinson, do you have any comments? And then I'll call the question. I appreciate the city manager, your sentiment mm -hmm. around, when, like, we don't create, we don't, we're not going to figure out the nuance of uh, drastic policy change at the dais, but I, you know, I, I appreciate the mayor's sentiment that, you know, this is public hearing one. If we need to have a second public hearing, we can do that too. Right. So I see no harm in having a, having a public hearing, you know, we should be receptive to feedback. Uh, you know, we're continuing to hear from folks who will be impacted on this issue from both sides of, you know, both property owners and tenants. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm perfectly fine having a public hearing, getting some feedback. You know, we have no 
we don't have it scheduled for an ordinance adoption. We don't. We, 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 so we let's hear the let's hear the feedback and be willing to work towards something. You know. And again, I I, I, I too I want to do this like figure out how we get to something that we can all agree to and put forth the best public policy for the city. Mayor, could you, I just you. note that um, Mr. Hahn and then Mr. Jordan, our um, assistant co-compliance director, um, we have also been um, making, just to make sure that people know, um, whether it's you know groups or individuals who want to understand this better or understand the language, understand what the proposed process is, um, they've been seeking us out, we've been meeting with them, and we're happy to continue to do so. Great, thanks. Uh, Commissioner Robbins, another thing, I will call the question. Yeah, thank you again for this information. Um, <laughs> I, I think to Madam Mayor's point, like there's a lot of questions, but I think there maybe are less than we realize because we have answers that just aren't fully transparent with us or with the public yet. And so I just think it would be really important um, going into this public hearing, which I am supportive of, to um, have that information readily available to the public so that when people show up to make comments, they're informed on really what the, in the unintended and intended consequences are. Um, and I know I mentioned that during the last meeting, too, that there's been many other communities who have enacted ordinances like this. And so I, I would be really surprised if there weren't some indications of what the impacts were. Um, so that was that's really all the comment I want to make. Yeah, thank you, Commissioner. Appreciate that. All right, with that, I'll call the question. All those in favor say aye. Aye. Those opposed? It carries. All right, next up, we'll take us to a resolution setting February 21 as the date to consider amendments to the zoning ordinance section 5.8.05 for the floodplain overlay district in compliance with the National Flood Insurance Program regulations. Can I get a motion? Moved. Support. All right, moved and supported. Again, commissioners, this is something we've talked about. We knew this was coming. Second step process in what was started uh, last month. So we'll start with Ms. Turkelson. We'll see if our city engineer has anything else to add and then... I'll call the question on this. Go ahead. Thank you, Mayor. Good morning, Commission. Um, I don't know that I have a whole lot to add. I think that the red line version perhaps looks a little more dramatic than this actually is in terms of uh, the scope of the uh, zoning changes. Clearly, we are trying to maintain compliance with the program, uh, the flood insurance program. The actual land use regulations, the restrictions, are not getting any more uh, strict or lessening uh, through this process. So it, it's simply uh, references and such that are needing uh, updating to maintain that compliance. And I have smart colleagues here, too, if, if there's more detail um, that's needed on that. Great. Thanks. Commissioners, any questions or comments? All right. All those in favor say aye. Aye. Those opposed, it carries. All right. I think I'll call uh, the question to go into executive session. Get that out of the way before we go to the briefings. Can I get a motion to go into executive session? Again, this will be for three legal opinions, uh, and we'll meet down in the law library. So moved. Support. <laughs> moved and supported. Uh, this is a voice vote. Uh, Commissioner Purdue? Yes. Uh, Commissioner Yes. O'Connor? Yes. Uh, Moody? Yes. Uh, Robbins? Yes. And Knight? Yes. Okay, and I'm a yes. Thank you, Commissioners. Uh, all right, so we have two presentations. One is an update for our annual uh, economic impact report. So we'll have Mr. Gracia, our Director of our Economic Development Department, share this uh, information with us. And then we'll have an update from Ms. Turkelson on our Community Master Plan. Hi, welcome. Good. Good morning, Mayor, Commissioners, City Manager, City Attorney, Clerk. So this morning we are uh, going to provide, as we do on uh, on the regular occasion, uh, our 2022 annual impact report for all the projects that we uh, help administer and support um, for the last calendar year. 
So to begin, I want to make sure to introduce and provide credit where it's due to the economic development staff. Um, they're here on uh, to your left, and you can see them on the screen. And I, it's really important to understand the amount of uh, work and load and detail work that goes into every one of these projects for every memo and public hearing and uh, record keeping and follow-up survey. And so it's important for them. And also, I would say, um, interdepartmental work across the city to get these projects across the finish line. And so recognizing um, that economic development team, uh, giving them credit where it is due. As I mentioned about uh, interdepartmental work, and typically we provide this update at the uh, economic development project team. And um, we provide a development center update. And I think it's, again, another inter interdepartmental work to talk about the uh, significant dollar amount of construction value that we put through through our development efforts. And you can see since 2001, $6 billion, but calling attention specifically to approximately the last decade of that growth. You know, obviously there was a, an exception there in 2020 for uh, reasons beyond our control, but you can see that we've kept up momentum and actually last year surpassed our 2021 number, which was the third highest. So now we have a new third highest year and development uh, construction value permits um, through our development center. And again, it's important to talk about that in context and the bigger momentum on projects that do take place within the city because people want to invest here and they like to do so aside from any economic development incentive. They do it because they know it's the right market to do it and they need to do it for their employees, for their housing needs and for their investments. <clears throat> So let's talk a little bit about those investments themselves. So um, 2022 investments, we have, um, as you can see at the top, $245 million of investments over 17 projects um, that, our pro that our department supported. I want to call attention, we did provide a breakdown of by ward and neighborhood of focus, and you know, certainly happy to report that overall we had a 35% increase in overall investment from um, 2021 but also call attention specifically in those projects in the neighborhoods of focus. So for 2022, nine of those 17, over half of those projects took place in neighborhoods of focus. And, and dollar amount wise is $95 million or about 38% of total investment committed in those projects to those neighborhoods of focus. Now that is aligned directly with our equitable economic development and mobility strategic plan. Again, driving those uh, d development projects in those areas that traditionally hadn't uh, been uh, uh, the, um, seeing the type of development um, that perhaps other parts of our city have, but understanding that the city as a whole needs to grow and we had a good, great balance um, across all our wards in 2022. Uh, the other important piece uh, related to our total investments is our inclusion plan. So over the last two calendar years, we've had uh, full implementation of our inclusion plan, which we report regularly when we bring projects before you to talk about those commitments to those MBE, WBE, and MOBE contractors. And so since inception of January of 21, we've you know, uh, got commitments of $42 million. So $42 million that we are tracking diligently. But most importantly, I want to point out the 218% increase from 2021 to 2022. So now we're, you know, we're in a, a good stretch here where we have a runway of projects that are under construction and we're, gonna, you know, we're, we're going back and surveying them and asking them, hey, these are commitments and we'll talk a little about later on. But again, this is important where we we're just asking the question, can you commit to based on our values and our equitable plan to seeking out minority contractors? We cannot by law require to do so, but we're going to ask you and use our influence to do so. And these are the results. So last year, tw over $28 million. 
we have a strong pace of projects even for 2023 and we you know now we're in that reporting period and we'll plan to bring that back to you as well um, but again 218 percent increase and then again as we talk about housing support you know we've in our projects we've supported you know last year 762 new units and uh, just about half of those are at 80 percent median uh, area median income and below so those are projects that have LIHTC support also projects that have other uh, uh, federal or state support that um, we're using, as uh, Commissioner O'Connor mentions earlier, for our capital stack to make sure those projects go. We understand important of housing for for jobs and investment, and this is one of the ways. We're one of the one of the departments um, across the city. Community development supports them very much, and planning, obviously, and many others that are making sure that we are trying to divide um, provide housing developments as much as true economic development, jobs, and investment. So I'll give you a quick overview here of the jobs, again, perspective on the last three years of jobs impact, of the jobs impacting wages. Um, and so for 2022, you can see, you know, about a little over 400 and those average wages of $23 an hour. And you may ask your question, well, 2021 was a little bit lower and it was much higher, but that also includes a significant uh, downtown project in the spectrum CTI. Um, that was 1,800 jobs. So a significant investment, significant commitment, and so I want to call that attention. So when you subtract that out, you're still at you know, 625 jobs and roughly $24 an hour. So you're on par year over year over year with the outcomes of the projects that we're supporting. And certainly uh, another key component of is our business neighborhood investments and through our corridor improvement authorities and business improvement districts. And this is truly, truly, again, these, this money is provided through tax income revenues similar that we do with a brownfield and so as we drive investment in those neighborhoods their tax increment revenues grow and they're empowered to reinvest that as they wish through their facade programs public art support and street streetscape enhancements based on their their local um selected uh leadership and so their boards and you can see last year we had just under a million dollars of reinvestment of those revenues it's a 40 percent increase from 2021 now our staff is really, you know, important to making sure that we're uh, make, uh, facilitating those discussions and ensuring that those investments and those priorities are being um, utilized uh, um, as they should. But more importantly, this is the decision of, that, of those CIAs and those bids to make those investments. And this is true community business-led investments through the corridor improvement authorities. So again. You know, our largest program uh, that you see on, on the most regular occasion is our Brownfield Redevelopment Authority and local Brownfield Revolving Fund. This, and specifically, you know, the, the success of our, our Brownfield Redevelopment Authority provides these additional funds to utilize these other programs, which is local Brownfield Redevelopment Authority and these environmental site assessment and grants. Based on when those projects complete full reimbursement or the term is up, we collect for five more years on those projects and then we're able to reinvest. And this gives you a summary of where those investments taking place in 2022. So in those LBRF programs, over $2.6 million, and again, the neighborhood of focus, 1.7, that's 65% of that investment back into those neighborhoods of focus. Those environmental site assessment grants um, if you're in, so those are not familiar and sort of the general public, those are, those are really, really important for anyone seeking to buy their own property. Before a bank or if they're buying it cash, we recommend this environmental side assessment to be complete. And this program specifically is tailored to offsetting those costs. And, and, and when you do that in a neighborhood of focus, it's 100% of, of reimbursement. And again, a breakdown where those investments are taking place. And again, um, 
173,000 in those environmental site assessment grants, 152 in those neighborhood of focus, which represents 87% of those investments through our environmental site assessment grant. And I know in, in, uh, on, on the regular occasion we're talking about, well, so what are kind of these uh, property taxes, you know, that we have with our projects? Again, gives you a summation of where we are with each of those. But what's important is that these are rolling over year after year. So once that investment takes place, you know, that, that property tax and those income taxes continue to generate. And there's a multiplier effect. But just this gives you just a little snapshot. Again, in 2022, five, a little over half a million dollars. And where those income tax property taxes um, based on those commitments on each individual project that we assess. So last but not least, um, you know, there's a lot of questions about how do we know that these projects actually uh, become what they what what uh, what ways approved. And so we go back and we look back, and this what you see here is a five-year look back to 2017 to 2021, and we're asking surveying them, and and you know we're happy to report and then job. Creation retention of over 113 percent, and projects and investment again at 114. So these are completed projects. As you understand, the pro some projects will be approved, and it may take a number of years before those projects actually are completed. But we do go back and making sure that uh, those commitments and uh, seeking um, their confirmation of those investments. And obviously, you can see those as you drive around town and see many of those projects that are redeveloping or infill development. So you have a lot of momentum, a lot of important people behind these projects. And I think the best way to, to give you the perspective of who's behind these projects and where they're taking place is we actually highlighted a few of them in this uh, video. So I'm going to allow this video to speak for itself. And uh, I'll see you in two and a half minutes. Twenty twenty two was a great year for the Grand Rapids Economic Development Office. We've seen great impact across the city, not only in downtown, but truly in every single ward and also in our neighborhoods of focus. And we were happy to report these great investments of over two hundred and forty five million dollars in twenty twenty two. We're excited to be part of the Crescent neighborhood. We're here at thirteen fifty nine Plainfield, which is the future home of Lofts on Grove, which will be a hundred and ten unit mixed-use apartment building along with the small retail commercial piece to it also. So it's a $25 million investment into the neighborhood. We've had great success with our inclusion plan. In 2022, we were able to secure over $28 million of support to minority contractors for each of those private development projects. Lo que queremos aquí hacer en este edificio es traer a los supermercados en el primer piso y en el segundo piso tener oficinas. Esta área es, es 900 César y Chávez en Grand Rapids. Y frutas y verduras de aquel lado y toda la comida de este lado así en líneas hacia allá. La panadería va a quedar allá. We're utilizing grants available and we're also very excited, very happy to work with the city to make this project a reality. This is where I wanna be, uh, nah, nah. never ever gonna leave, uh, nah, nah. you ain't gonna get it from me, Overall, the CIAs and the BID have made about a million dollars in investment in their communities. Most of these went to facade improvement program, some went to streetscape enhancement, and also public arts. Zero Plus is developing 2017 Eastern, which is located on the corner of Eastern in Burton in Garfield Park neighborhood. 
the project's total is $3.8 million. It ex hopefully exceeds expectations for its energy efficiency standards and sets a new standard of development for the community, saying, yes, you can have a mixed income project that meets and doesn't displace people from the community. Yes, you can have a project that is almost net zero. Um, yes, both of these things can come together and create a space where people can continue to love and grow with their community. Porque juntos. Because together. We are. We are GR. So as you can see, those are the people behind those projects. And uh, I think, you know, in front of you, uh, you'll see a summation of what I covered today. And uh, that's a simply sort of a handy reference. And uh, we look forward to having a very strong 2023 as well. Thank you, Mr. Gracia. I will turn to my colleagues to see if they have some questions. Uh, Commissioner? Thank you for that and great video. Um, just a definition question on uh, slide six when you refer to jobs being retained, what is the definition of retainment? So I'm sorry, let me get this off. Uh, so jobs that are currently uh, at, at, uh, with the project that will remain with the project uh, as basically their baseline for today. So kind of beyond construction, after construction. Beyond, so today if you had a, said you had 50 employees, that would be a 50 employee retention and you would look at the new on top of that. Okay. And then curious, you might not know this off the top of your head, so I appreciate you highlighting um, the amount of private investment. Curious if we have a comparison number for public investment for kind of the same portfolio projects. Uh, no, but we can certainly for the 17 projects specifically. Yeah, slide. Yeah, looking at 20. Yeah, I'm looking at slide four, um, just because you kind of highlighted uh, increases over time and how they're distributed. So just curious how public investments might compare to that private investment. Yeah, and when you say public investments, what uh, what do you want that to be? All things streets and utilities or all things just directly related to our project in terms of our, our incentives? The incentives piece. Okay. Yeah, thank sure. you. Yep. That's it. Thanks. Commissioner, is that any other questions? Um, Commissioner Sassi? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I'll go. Let's go, go Commissioner Sassi and then Commissioner Knight. Thank you. Um, yes, nice video. Um, so you put Creston right there in the front, so thank you for that. Um, I just want to say thank you again. Um, I know you get to stand up here, and I love that there were other members of the team. I know this is a very much a team effort, and some of us get to see many of them more, but I just want to say thank you to all of you for your efforts to connect, to answer a lot of different questions that we have, to move things ahead on agendas. Um, it is very much appreciated, so I wanted to say that. Um, you know, I think there's some exciting things to to celebrate, and then I always think, like, what else could we be doing or what else should we be thinking about? And um, um, I think there is some movement in this economic development world about, as we look at these statistics, how can we go deeper, uh, more involved? And I think Grand Rapids, we've always kind of led that. Um, how do we measure things in... Um, 
a more holistic way. And so one of my colleagues in my, in my day job, um, uh, Alyssa um, Sangali, leads an organization, Northern Initiatives. Many of you are familiar with that. Um, they are a community development financial institution. But they've also received some funding to um, work with businesses to identify different job quality metrics. So this is sort of, I think, like the next iteration of some of the things that we could be uh, measuring in terms of our economic development impact. And so I'm anxiously, I know they've been interviewing some businesses and other CDFIs. Um, it's something that is important um, as we think about not only these very large-scale projects and the, and the um, jobs they're creating and the economic impact they have to the businesses around them, but how could we measure some other aspects. So they would look at things like uh, businesses that were able to offer things like healthcare businesses. We have a lot of businesses who have been actively engaged in um, the TriShare project um, at the state level. So um, I'm not asking for anything to be done. Let me be clear about that after. Uh, this is truly a briefing, but I'd love to be able to explore that, Mayor. Um, I think we have some really exciting things. And I think also businesses are asking, too, how can we even show our greater impact in our neighborhood? So. Yeah, thank you. It's good feedback. The qualitative metrics, I think, are also important. Uh, Commissioner Knight. Any I'm sorry. other? I said I'll, I'll email you the questions I have. Okay, and it, and everyone is obviously welcome to reach out to Mr. Grassi if they have additional questions or follow up. Uh, I'll I'll add my voice of thanks to the entire team. Uh, I know for many of us who've sat around this table as we've seen the creation of corridor improvement districts, uh, it's really, in my opinion, something that we all should be proud of, some of the investment that we're seeing in our neighborhood business districts because of those CIAs. So um, thank you for all of your work. All right, one final opportunity for comments or questions? Okay, I'm going to close that briefing, and that will take us to our community master plan update. So I will invite Ms. Turkelson up uh, to give us an update on this effort. Hi, welcome. Thank you. First, I'd like to protest the order of these briefings. <laughs> don't have a fancy video to follow. <laughs> um, yeah, we will. Give us time. Um, so thank you uh, for the opportunity this morning to provide you with a, a very uh, brief update on where we, where we are at with the community master plan. Uh, we're a little more bashful in the planning department. I don't have headshots of the team, but I'm very grateful to the dedicated work of uh, Jay Stefan, Leila Zlani, and Sarah Tani for their support through this process. So as a quick reminder, a community master plan helps guide the future growth and development of the city. Um, there are opportunities for us to look at <clears throat> topics or important themes to the city, such as transportation, uh, climate mitigation, uh, and those are all themes that the community has told us are important and will also be included uh, through this process. The components of a community master plan include our community profile, who are we, um, as, as well as looking for public input to understand the values or the vision for our community. And, and those combined uh, help create a new plan or new vision that is used to guide the growth and development for our city. We do have a steering committee that is working alongside the department and the consultant, as well as uh, supporting the planning commission through their work. Uh, that steering committee helps guide some of the public engagement process, serve as a sounding board for us. Um, and uh, we've made uh, great strides and worked very hard to try to find a steering committee that is representative of our community. Um, and so you can see the graph here um, that you've seen before, uh, for example, of, of how the steering committee uh, breaks down with race and ethnicity. 
and I'm, I'm very appreciative of, of their hard work and dedication through this process. And thank you. And, and just to make sure people understand the slide, the city of Grand Rapids, the, the line is the census data. So we oh. have a good comparison oh. yes, between who, who is on the steering committee and our, and this is 2020 census data. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Mayor. That's important. Yeah. Uh, this is the timeline for the overall project, obviously very high level. It is a timeline that you've seen before, uh, and I'm, I'm pleased to report that we remain on time uh, for the project, getting things done in the time frame that we expected. Uh, the red arrows help indicate where significant portions or rounds of engagement will take place for each phase of the project. Um, so the... The engagement process itself is uh, divided into four rounds that are centered around those key themes. And so as we move through the, uh, the engagement process, we really start with brainstorming, helping understand where communities at and what's important. And then eventually we'll move into a responsive phase where we provide uh, vision statements and goals and objectives for the community to uh, respond to and provide their feedback on. Uh, here's the timeline of those engagements, which I think is important to call out just so community can anticipate uh, when they would be um, asked to participate. So we are currently in round one, which will be the predominant focus uh, for this morning. Uh, we move to round two in May, and of course we conclude with round four, which is more of the what I would call the adoption phase, where the draft plans be begins to come together and available. And uh, the goal is to conclude uh, the project in the spring of 2024. We are employing a variety of engagement techniques through this process. Um, what we know and what we learned uh, through our pre-planning uh, process back in 2019, as well as through other um, engagement work that the city has embarked upon, that there isn't one size fits all. So if we truly want to create a plan and a process that is inclusive, then we need to make sure that we're employing a variety of techniques so that community is comfortable participating in ways that, um, that, that they're comfortable with. And so sometimes that's not attending large group forums or to public hearings. Um, sometimes it's one-on-one it's -on -one interviews um, where an individual may feel um, most comfortable participating in answering questions and perhaps divulging personal stories that would help inform uh, what our vision looks like for Grand Rapids. Going back to the specific round one of engagement that we are in, um, this is really intended to serve as an introduction. So there might be individuals who have not participated in a, in a community master planning process. So what is that? Why is it important? Looking to gather insight and feedback and hopefully make a good impression and, and encourage people to participate as we move through, forward through this process. Um, our launch parties are coming up, which is that, that big kickoff, if you will, um, for, from a public-facing perspective. So that will take place the week of February 20th. Um, they are, there is a launch party, one in each ward. They are not ward-specific, so if you live in Ward 1, for example, you could attend a Ward 3 and vice versa. Um, but we wanted to try to make sure that they were uh, conveniently uh, located um, throughout the community at a time that the steering committee helped identify they thought would be most convenient. Um, and of course, there will also be uh, food provided um, for those so that they don't have to choose between dinner um, and attending. Uh, these are also family-friendly events. So while there's no separate childcare per se, there will be activities that will help engage the youth. So if I bring my daughter to the event, um, then I have the opportunity to engage her and help collect her vision um, and also help her uh, start her civic engagement life. 
Um, so the Community Connector Program is one technique that we are, are utilizing. We've seen success of it in various other um, long-range planning uh, work. Um, as part of the uh, contract and request for proposal proposals that we received, um, you did see that we planned to utilize this model. And this is where we employ uh, community connectors uh, that are uh, that live and work throughout the community and intended uh, this work to supplement the work that they're already doing. We are also supporting uh, neighborhood organizations uh, in a similar manner. Um, so this morning at fiscal you had an agenda item uh, that would help provide some additional funding to support neighborhood organizations through that fourth round or that final round of in engagement. Uh, unfortunately, there are the uh, there is an option for people to participate virtually. Not necessarily. Don't think of it like a hybrid meeting, but all of the the activities and such that would take place uh, through these uh, larger engagement efforts will be available electronically. So if I'm not able to attend the launch party the week of the 20th, for example, I can still complete all of the activities online and have my voice heard and communicated to the planning department for incorporation uh, into that into this process. So again, just trying to make sure that we are as inclusive and accessible as possible. And that does uh, um, summarize where we are at to date. Um, you may recall that there are formal report outs uh, throughout this process so at the, the end of phase one, uh, which we estimate to be in about April. Um, we will have the consultant along with uh, perhaps some steering committee members and staff come and provide you a, a formal report out of how things went uh, relative to the phase one of the process. So with that, I'm available for questions. All right, thank you. I will, uh, I'll start by um, thanking you for this update. I know I've heard from a number of the steering committee members who uh, are really excited to be working with this consultant and they feel like things are going really well and are excited about these launch events uh, this month. Uh, I know I'll be attending some of them and I know many of you will be as well. Uh, so just want to say thanks to all the steering committees who steering committee members who've been working hard for over a year. I also want to remind everyone that we do have two uh, planning commissioners also serving on the steering committee. Uh, and process-wise, once before the final product comes to us, it'll go before the planning commission as well. Yes, so, thank you. Yeah. All right. Questions or comments? All right, commissioner. Good morning. Um, might you talk a little bit more? Um, my note. On engagement, so we did approve that item this morning to support some of the neighborhood organizations' engagement. Um, the community connectors, is there compensation there? Um, and I'm curious, of the project budget, do we have a sense of how much of those dollars are al allocated to community engagement? I'm assuming there's more outside of just the compensation for the neighborhood organization. There is. Um, I don't have the total for you for community engagement of the entire budget for the for the project offhand. We can certainly break that out. Yes, the community connectors, it is a paid position. Uh, within the scope, it allocated $25,000 uh, for that, that program or that element um, that will run through the entire project. Yeah. And we, we've used a similar model with some of our other uh, processes in the, in the past, and yes. it's been really quite successful. Sure. And the second question, curious if, um, you know, our last plan was, I think, 2002. Um, do you have a sense of how much of that plan we successfully, successfully implemented? <laughs> um, 
yes and no. Uh, so we actually received that question quite a bit during the, the pre-planning phase, you know, what has been done? And um, one of the lessons learned is that we didn't actually create a dashboard. Um, we, will, we will not repeat that, um, that error of our ways um, so that we will have better tracking uh, through this project. However, we did brainstorm uh, a number of um, of responses that came out of uh, the original or the 2002 master plan. For example, Friends of Grand Rapids Park um, came out of the Green Grand Rapids plan, which was an extension of the master plan. So we, we affectionately call it the tree of life. And, and I can certainly share that with you. It's been included in past presentations that help you, um, that, that help illustrate how many great projects have come out of that plan. Yeah. I'd be interested in seeing that if it's not too much trouble. Yep, absolutely. Thanks. Yeah, and thinking about the last 20 years, we've had a number of area-specific plans that have led to zoning changes that have led to really significant investment. Michigan I, Street being an, an obvious yeah, one. Yeah, Michigan Street, Fulton Street on the west side, uh, you know, the Brickyard plan, uh, you know, and everything that's happened in Midtown. So it would, it would be actually... Uh, good to take a, a look back and kind of capture all of that work. Yeah. So yeah, even well, though we don't have a dashboard, I know many of us have seen the impact of that initial plan. Yeah. And so. I think, you know, related to the work that Jeremiah just presented, you know, a lot of that investment, that private investment can be directly tied to the forethought and the planning work that was um, done back in 02. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Commissioner O'Connor, and then I'll see if anyone else. And then. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you to Kristen and the planning department and all those that are uh, volunteering their time to help try to facilitate a great plan for Grand Rapids. And I think it's it's really interesting looking back, you know, 20 years of, uh, of a visioning document uh, that, you know, we've certainly, I think, outgrown as a community. And I think you and I have had a couple of conversations where you're like, hey, we're going to bring another zoning change to the city commission. Do you think, I mean, it's like every, it felt like it was like every week for a minute we were making the zoning change. But I think that's just evidence as to why we need a document like this to be that vision because we've outlived what we've done. I think even without a dashboard, uh, it's been successful, but it's also we've reached its its limitations. Um, and then, as you know, we as a community struggle with things, especially like housing, um, and knowing that there's changes we've recently made and, and have been making and talking about that have been limitations to creating housing opportunities in our community. And so, I'm really hopeful that uh, you know once we create this visionary document, there's going to be that subsequent zoning change along with it to allow its facilitation to to come to life. Um, you know, I have a been a part of a number of housing discussions and, and conversations and one of the you know uh, things like housing next and the affordable housing task force and uh, you know there's I think there's things that we still need to do in the short term before you know the zoning the eventual zoning change is to me the, the most significant part of this at the end but I feel like we're in this window right now where we still have this incredible need for especially how I hate to just harp on housing but it feels like housing is the thing that we all continue to talk about and we know we need and I think we'll probably get some information tomorrow about you know an even greater need for housing opportunities in our community um, and so I'm, I'm hopeful I have a, a list of ideas that I've kind of amalgamated from conversations we've had over the years uh, as well as things from the housing next that didn't get implemented last time we made a zoning change that I hope can be considered as part of the master plan dialogue uh, but also might be considered by our planning department and our planning commission sooner than that, um, especially as we have this window of opportunity here where we might be able to try a few things um, before a, a, a full-scale zoning happens to try to facilitate some additional housing opportunities, um, both in terms of the expansion of uh, existing, you know, we have things that exist in our community that might not be maximized 
to their full potential, as well as uh, you know opportunities to create new housing units uh, in space. And so I'll be submitting that to you and to the city manager and hope that that can be incorporated into the master planning discussion, but also might be able to be considered sooner than that uh, as part of a, maybe a planning com commission discussion about you know things that we can do short term to really boost opportunity. You know, we, city of Grand Rapids ourselves aren't going to create any housing opportunities, but we, what we can do is we can lay a, a zoning framework and a land use framework that allows it to happen and we can work with our partners in economic development to make sure that you know developers and uh, folks wanting to build and create housing have all you know, all the opportunities and tools at their feet so they can do what they do best and you know we can sort of get out of the way yeah thanks commissioner for bringing that up I, I, I think you are absolutely right we have over the last several years passed a number of zoning changes whether it was around corner lots or residential on the main floor and commercial buildings the accessory dwelling units uh, you know and I think it's always prudent to take a look back at that language see if it, it spurred the kind of development, especially around housing, that we were hoping. Uh, if not, do we need to make some additional changes? You know, one that comes to mind is all the conversations around accessory dwelling units, and I think that is right for us to take a look at and see if we need to make any adjustments in order to spur additional units, uh, especially at the price point that we know that those can be included into properties. So, uh, so we can follow up on that conversation as well. Uh, Commissioner Isasi? See if anyone else, and then, then Commissioner Robinson. Thank you, Mayor. Thanks, Mr. Colson, for the presentation. And um, we know that City Manager Washington is not going to let this uh, note pass by without doing a dashboard on this round. So we know <laughs> that's the one. Th I think that was the first thing he showed me when I sat down. He's like, here's all my data, Commissioner. So we're going to have that. I feel confident about that. Um, um, I agree. I want to say th yes, thank you to all those that have um, volunteered their time and energy and the connectors. I think um, those are important conversations. They have different levels of engagement. Um, one of the things I, I think I had... Um, shared some feedback in the past with you. And I think anytime you put together 47 people in a, in a group, you're gonna have difference of opinions, right? So can you talk a little bit, of, I have one shameless plug, but can you talk a little bit about how um, we're evaluating their experience and engaging with the city and, and feedback that they can provide because we have them sort of in this time frame, And then, and I, I know you're doing that. And then um, how can we, keep some of these folks connected. So my shameless plug is around, I know some of these um, individuals are serving on other, uh, you know, bodies, obviously some folks from the planning commission, but those that aren't, um, I'd love to make sure that we just get them looped into some of our opportunities, mayor, um, and to serve in different ways um, because they've, they've showed that interest. So yeah, thank you. Great point. Thank you, Commissioner. I'll, I'll start with your, your last question. Um, you're right. I mean, oftentimes these, these large-scale planning efforts do help uh, educate and motivate people to become more involved. It builds capacity within neighborhoods and, and interest and maybe a level of understanding about how serving on certain boards and commissions, like the Planning Commission, for example, is an opportunity to be directly engaged in that, that growth and development. Um, so. Um, I will think through how we can make sure that those are um, maybe more front and center as we move through this process. In terms of how we're uh, evaluating our um, both our community, uh, our steering committee members, is um, we do provide feedback forms at the end of every uh, steering committee meeting. We have a online form that we do send to them through follow up. We are constantly providing that follow up about here's what we heard, here's the next steps, um, and also you know tell us what you thought about the meeting. Uh, was it productive? Was it a good use of your time? And at the end of every single um, form, we ask, would you like to meet with us? And if yes, please leave 
leave us your email and we will reach out. And we've done that, um, especially in the beginning where we had community members that maybe weren't as confident in what their role was um, and, and had some constructive criticism for us about the use of their time and, and the topics that we were providing. And so we met with those individuals, um, it's kind of a, the one-on-one, -on -one and, and we listened and we were able to make the adjustments to make sure that it is a good use of their time because that's it's incredibly important that we respect that. Um, and we'll continue to do that. Um, and also, there is a leadership team, which is five members that were selected from the steering committee that will be more, um, I think, directly engaged with city staff um, beyond the once a month meeting. And so I, I would expect that steering committee members, if they have comments or feedback, that that might percolate to, this, um, to the leadership team that would then reach out to Layla and I. Thank you. Great. Thanks. Uh, Commissioner Robbins? Yeah, thank you. This? Um, just one quick question. I know with the recent census data, there's been you know some specific demographics, age-wise and ethnic-wise, that we know are growing faster than others. Um, I know particularly the 25 to 35, I think it is, um, age demographic is particularly growing a lot. I guess is there um, any sort of intentional efforts to make sure that those quicker-growing demographics are, are captured within this process? Because I know 20 years is a long time, and obviously the demographics of our city now are very different than you know when this uh, the process was previously conducted. So just curious about sort of more information on those engagement efforts to make sure that you know we're capturing everybody's feedback. Yep, so we do have a, a variety of ways of, of reaching out to our youth. We have um, an individual from the Mayor's Youth Council, um, and so there, there are, I think, through those different techniques, and there's a variety of, of ages, um, if we're just focusing on age for a moment, uh, a variety of ages uh, that serve both through the community connectors as well as the steering committee. We have an age-friendly division within the long-range planning department to help coordinate uh, with our senior population. So we're very cognizant of who makes up our community and how uh, and we're willing and we have set up a structure to try to intentionally make sure we're engaging with the, the subsets of our community. Community. Um, you know, it, it, it feels when you hear the dates of an 02 being a 2002 plan being the last time. I mean, the reality is we've achieved, I think, eight or nine area-specific plans that were long-range planning work, maybe hyper-focused on a, a specific geographic area, but we do uh, have routine updates to that plan. They just don't always get the same level of attention um, as what the community master plan does. Uh, to, it doesn't have the same broader interest, of course, but we do monitor those demographics, and and ideally we have a plan that is is able to um, grow with our community as it changes. That it's not so specific to this the, the time frame that we're developing the plan that it has longevity. And I, I think we did a really good job of that um, in 2002, knowing that we haven't really had a critical need to update the large plan until very recently where we started experiencing some of those pinch points where, ooh, it's not quite working. Perhaps it's outlived its useful life. Yep. Thank good you. Question. Thank you. All right, I'll give the city manager final comment, and then we'll close this. And uh, commissioners, I'll see you uh, downstairs in the law library. Thank you, Mayor. I want to thank the staff for all the briefings uh, this morning from Community Development, Economic Development, and our Planning Department. But specifically, I think when we speak about our comprehensive plan uh, moving forward and what we've done in the past through 2002, I think it's important to um, reflect on the fact that we have done a lot of um, updates 
uh, over the years where there is specific planning and unlike other communities where you do the big plan and you don't do another one until another 15, 20 years down the road, we have done a lot. And some of them are not just geographically limited to a neighborhood like the, the traffic plan and the bicycle action plan. Those are things that affect mobility throughout our community and the things that we've done around sustainability and other things that are non-geographic. So I, 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 I want, uh, as we talk about the need to uh, move forward, we have been doing a lot of micro-planning, I would say, uh, but this gives us a, a chance to do it more holi holistically. Yeah, thank you. I think that's an excellent point, and it's an opportunity to pull all those together, the area-specific plans and the economic development and mobility and parks and trails. So this really is an opportunity to really bring all of that together under a holistic updated master plan. So uh, with that, commissioners, we'll end uh, Committee of the Whole. Uh, as I said, let's go into executive session down in the law library, and then some of you will be back up here for public safety at 1230.